Welcome to a very distracted podcast. I'm Elijah. I'm Alec. I'm CJ. And I'm Nathan. Wait, who the fuck are you? How'd you get in here? <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted it's to our fourth, everybody. We found another person to drag into our madness. He's not allowed to escape. He's chained to the wall very securely. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> so, welcome, everybody. This is our part two of three in our D&D point, uh, 5.5 discussion. Um... <clears throat> Uh, sort of the sort of our theories in reading into the designs in Morkind's Monsters of the Multiverse, and sort of extrapolating from there for what five point five could really be about, because it's sure as hell no sexy, because no one's getting kicked out. Yep. But guys, I don't you know I don't know if you know this about me, but I made some mistakes last recording. You? I don't believe it. I did, though. Imagine my shock. Elijah knows a lot of these because we had to do our own Wikipedia um, dive before our our one-shot recording, um, which, by the way, did somewhat more amazingly well than part one of this trilogy. (laughs) It's feeling like prequel territory right now. I'm really hoping this doesn't get Attack of the Clones. Oof. Um, Now, this is clearly going to be Phantom Menace. No, that was the first one. It, it, It was... It was like it was like ah, and then it dropped. <laughs> ah. It's like um, ah, yeah. Uh, so corrections for last episode. Um, uh, got the the last adventure for three point five completely wrong. The apocalypse stone is uh, actually the last adventure for a D and D for two point five. Um, and the villain, uh, one of the villains that's introduced in that is Moloch. Because in old D and D canon, Moloch was te- was almost on the same power level as Asmodeus, and Asmodeus kicked him out of hell. That was the thing I was thinking of. Um, the actual last adventure published for three point five in two thousand seven, which kind of meets up with the publication timeline between three point five and four e, uh, was the last breaths of Ashenport in two thousand seven. Um, and then just a confirmation on three publication years. Uh, was first published in 2000 under 3.0. In 2003, it was 3.5. Just as like a... That was more or less for my sanity because Apocalypse Gym came out in 2000. So like it was only a few months before 3.0 was to be published and released officially. Wow. Yeah, they like Apocalypse Stone was legitimately like a, a game-ending module that you ran for your players. Mm. But it was often used, like I watched Noah Antwiler's video last night about it just in ahead of this podcast. And it was used as like the DM's whoops-a-daisy button when he ran his his party into overpower mode by giving them all their shit and not running things properly in the game. Mm. Probably a reason why 3.0 and 3.5 um, redid a lot of their loot reward stuff and like limited the number of magic items you could have. Mm-hmm. And then, furthermore, within 4E, and then coming to where we are in 5E. Um, the, I got the adventure module for 5E wrong, where it has a lead-in that would be better fit for Storm King's Thunder. It's not in... Um, it is not in the uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist adventure. I forget which adventure I said it was. It just wasn't the correct one. It's in, at, at the beginning of Tomb of Annihilation. There's an NPC that is briefly only described in like a single sentence in Storm King's Thunder as like the person you're supposed to have your players interact with at the beginning of Storm King's Thunder. That's better written in a better introduction 
adventure at the beginning of Tomb of Annihilation that would be better fit for Storm King's Thunder. Okay. All right. Hmm. Um, then the other thing I got wrong uh, was that uh, Tiamat, goddess of destruction, uh, was was a lord of the first le- was lord of the first level of hell, uh, Avernus, before she became a demigod. But when she ascended, there was no lord. Current canon, because of Baldur's Gate descent into Avernus, um, the angel Zariel became Lord of the First, was then betrayed by Bell, who then replaced her, but then she came back and took the position back and kicked Bell back into the wastelands of Avernus, where he's been sort of fighting shit and just gathering strength to go and take back his position as Lord of the First. And then a big point of shame for me, and you can you can... Uh, you can throw stones at me for it. All right, I'm ready. Um, right, let's do it. And I'm putting this verbatim uh, from how I wrote it. Uh, his name is Tony Dieterlizzi, dumbass. What you call him? <laughs> Peter. Wow, I was mostly focusing on the last name. I didn't even hear the uh... the first name. Tony Dieterlizzi. I had to. I I follow him on Facebook, and he released more Spiderwick uh, stuff because he's been doing a lot of fairy art. So. Oh, the Spiderwick guy. Okay. Yeah, because he did he did Planescape. Yep, and then he did Spiderwick. And does a lot of stuff um, for his art portfolio as well as a lot of prints. Love to play a Planescape game. That would be a pretty good game, honestly. All right, so uh, with corrections done, um, Nathan, who the fuck are you? Sort of introduce your experience with D and D and like your general nerddom, and then Um, maybe your opinion about it. Oh God, let's see. I started getting into D&D, like, God, what year was it? Say, less than 15 years, but maybe even less than 10 years. What edition was it? 3.5 is when I started. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure 5e was out when I started playing. Uh, That first game at the Broken Lance was my first ever D&D game, that was... We're gonna have to have a we're gonna have to have a podcast episode about the Broken Lance at some point. Oh God! But then and then need to unlock those memories. It's okay. We won't talk about the good stuff. So I've just been playing D and D ever since then, and that's been a blast. I don't have much experience with Five E, but you know, it's something that I'm interested in, and I'm trying to get more interested in it. You you were saying something earlier though that we wanted you to hold off because oh, it was that. a bit of a it was a bit of an incendiary opinion that Elijah was like I'm gonna put you in the box. Um, put people in the box just so you know. Should, what what what, what, what we should, should we talk about first the level adjustments or the the <laughs> or or the uh, the the every race being pretty much the same. I mean, maybe start with your overall opinions on five E and then go from there. I think 5e is great, but flawed, but nothing is perfect, so, and it's the best thing we've got right now. Alright. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty solid and fair shared opinion by a lot of people. Yeah. Probably also, most, most of us have that general opinion, yeah. including mm-hmm. Peanut Gallery. Yeah. I mean, I get it, a lot of the rules that people hate are there because it makes the game easier to play, and it would make it way more confusing if there was things like level adjustments, or if every race was... If there wasn't, like, a standardized, like, race makeup, you know, from making a new race. Mm-hmm. But. All right. I don't know. What else? Um, I mean, so. What do you mean so, by so, race, uh, racial adjustment or level adjustment? Oh, level so, adjustment? 
First what? of all, what's level adjustment, Nathan? Oh, fuck me. That, I would like to have an explanation. I think so, I, I think in the dictionary, race adjustment... Uh, level level adjustment comes between war crimes and... And Thaco. Thaco, yeah. <laughs> oh, that bad, huh? So, so level adjustments are essentially a race, before they get any like player class levels, already are so many, like, are so more powerful to begin with. That they are levels behind. I hate it. Yes, I know. And in 3.5, there are some classes, there are some races that had to take races in like monster levels. So it's like even if you had a, like a level a plus two level adjustments, you have to be level five, like monster in order to actually play the race. And, and, uh... and per the definition of the D and D Dungeons and Dragons lore wiki on fandom. A level adjustments or equivalent character level is a rule specific to Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition which allows players to play a more powerful race such as a monster by taking a penalty to their character level. And, yeah, and I don't know about all that. And, <laughs> and the reason why is because it was a rule introduced with the Forgotten Realms campaign setting book, which was the 3.0 release campaign setting mm-hmm. uh, in 2001, so it was the first full campaign setting post-release. And uh, it was because of the popularity of Dritz de Orden. So people could play Drow. So people could play Drow, as well as um, people sort of writing in and asking, hey, we want to play more of these monster races, uh, monstrous races from the Monster Manual 3.0. So um, they. Then in 3.5 in 2003, when they re-released the Monster Manual, they actually inc- included level adjustment charts for each of the monstrous races that were playable. So why would you want level adjustments? Essentially, it allowed you to have a lot of the... Roleplay. T- not just roleplay, but it was actually served mostly a mechanical reason. It was allowed you to um, pretty much play all these races while having a lot of their traits uh, kept in- intact from the Monster Manual. For okay. example, the energy resistances that Asimars got. Okay. Alongside their bonus spells, but still without, in theory, overturning the the balance away from the uh, core, the uh, core rulebook races. I don't know. It, it kind of tastes like a D and D. You know, dwarves can only get to level eleven or whatever. I just I just shared the the the, the, the fandom wiki link to everybody. On oh boy. Podcast chat. Oh so that way you could actually like look at it yourself. It it, it it's pretty disgusting. Um, reading this, they're basically saying that like um, rules wise. The level adjustment is like you. You, it's essentially in taking your. So like, if you want to play a tiefling, you have to. You take one. It's one level of adjustment, and in order to reach second level, you have to reach the third level, uh, experience capstone in order to reach second level. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's like you have one monster level, then your level one, mm-hmm. but then you have to double. You're essentially going into the next bracket up for the for the mm-hmm. for the level up. It's your ECL. It's your effective character level. Yeah. Or equivalent yeah. of character level. That's... It's it's hmm. like looking at this. It's it feels like it feels like a D and D. So, in theory, it makes it so you're playing the actual monster, not just like a bastardized player version of the monster. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's all, and one of those things where the idea of the monster class level actually has its a D and D, where if you wanted to say for where a lot more. Powerful player races, uh, monstrous races that got that got player characters. Uh, for example, the uh, troglodytes had to take levels in monster instead of being able to before they could take levels in barbarian or shaman or whatever 
small yeah. handful of classes they were allowed. And uh, just to include what the reception was like, according to this, uh, reading verbatim, quote, uh, while many players use the level adjustment system, the level costs ultimately reduce the effectiveness of characters at high level, especially spellcasters for whom a penalty of one or two levels can cost them the top level of their spells and severely impact their power. Races with high level adjustments such as the Vampire at a plus eight were frequently unplayably fragile. Uh, later editions of Dungeons Dragons banned the level adjustment system. For example, Dungeons Dragons 5th edition, what we're talking about today, uh, simply reduced the power of Tiefling and Drow to be on par with standard races like Human and Elf. Which mm. you mentioned as sort of a complaint because the standardization of races and ease of accessibility to them mm-hmm. made them weaker overall. Which, well, uh, I, I like and I dislike that. Yeah, because mm. it, it makes it easier to play, but at the same time, you're like you're not playing, this is not as flavorful. You're, pl- you're not playing a tiefling. You're playing a <sighs> a weaker version of a tiefling. All right, in yeah. my opinion. And and uh, what we're going into today with Mordenkind's Monsters of the Multiverse with their race redesign they're correcting a lot of that mm. surprisingly mm-hmm. um, um last episode i had mentioned they corrected they uh, added to all the elf uh, elven sub races they redefined the um the trance long rest so as a elf you take four hours of it for a long rest because you're into a translated state you don't mm. take uh, you're not affected by uh charms or or magical sleep as far as ma- uh, magic is concerned, sounds right. What they Makes further sense. what they further made that trance is that you're allowed to take two um, tool proficiencies per long rest, because the trance is you living or you experiencing and living through the uh, the memories of your ancestors. So it gives elves their their ancient bloodlines and their power just because of how their long lived race. And they're giving them more skill abilities with tools and other things for, yeah. for the price of four hours of So you're trance. able to like change your skill proficiencies whenever you take a long rest? So uh, you, you, so get two in, you get two bonus on top of what you, you already have. If you can choose a, either a, a new weapon or a tool from the player's handbook to become proficient in. Oh, just until you take another long rest? And yeah. then you choose two more, you can keep the same. Okay, that's fun. And that's on top of your background, your class, and mm. um, stuff you already get automatically with your race. That's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Could you get expertise that way? No. No. You it's, get, it's, it's, it's very proficiency. Spe- it's but. very specifically proficiency. It's like, if you're playing like, um, if Henrik was an elf, my character in Elijah's game, um, mm-hmm. I couldn't take a proficiency in smithing because I already have it with my subclass. Okay, and what it, master. Yeah. So I'd have to do something like, um, like potion crafting, yeah. or or a musical instrument, thief's tools, or musical instrument, something of that. Essentially, nature. you can't is gain it, proficiency in something you're already proficient in. Is it just tool proficiencies, it. or is it skill proficiency? Tool or weapon. Tool, tool or, or weapon. weapon. Okay. If it was skill proficiency, that'd be a bit overpowered. That, that, that'd be that'd more be, of a feature. Yeah. At that that, point. that that would yeah. At that point, you're just say. At that point, you're even more hard sucking the. Elf, elves off. Well, there, there yeah, are that, classes that would be that like the Eladrin tra- <laughs> trance. Does elves Phantoms still have the if I walk past a hidden door, I they are they, the, even half elves have elf privilege to a degree. Okay, they have mm-hmm. it. They have it more. Um, you can they can see hidden mechanisms, whereas elves can see like magically hidden doors. Hmm. So they seem they do they see more with their eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Legolas. 
What do you know if I see? They see. They see jack shit. They see my. They see my brand. <laughs> That's a deep cut. God damn it. I remember having cable. <laughs> What's cable? Yeah. Something my parents still have. Oh That's my God. crazy. Alright, so... Cable nowadays? Uh, getting into it. Old people. So, um, uh, we had talked about uh, last episode, the first race to kind of get this test rewrite were the Drow, because they got a bunch of new lore written about them to make them less born evil, always evil, um, always slave-driving... Uh, slave Madmen in the Underdark. Yeah. Um, that's what they mostly are. That's what they mostly are, but, like, they were codified that way in a lot of... Most of it was brought about because of the um, drow blackface <laughs> motif. Mm, you know, yeah. pure pitch black drow skin, pale or silver eyes. Drows aren't black, they're purple. Well, yeah, like a smoky it. gray. I, they, I they've they've re, they've redone the art to where it's a range of like purples to grays and blues. Mm-hmm. That sort of range. It's like purple and gray. Purple yeah, gray. like like Dritz to Orton is like a um sort of like a coal ash gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if you remember, got purple eyes. Or if you yeah. remember uh, from my campaign, uh, uh, Lareth, the beautiful, I turned him into a half dark elf with the and just make give him give him purple skin. Yeah. Reminds me of night elves. Yeah. Um, mm. and then in what my game, we have... Uh, in WoW, they made wood elves. Oh, those things, They right. just mm-hmm. gave dark elves wood elf lore and called it a day. Mm-hmm. And also longer ears. And longer Much ears. Much longer yeah. ears. And then they gave high elves dark elf lore. Oh, the blood elves. Yep. Yep. Um, and in my game, uh... I don't know, the lore for the blood elves is pretty complicated. I kind yeah. of like them. It's awesome. I love the blood elves. Oh, yeah. I prefer the troll lore. So, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty cool. anyway, yeah. Our local drow in my game... Zev, your character Alec. That is my character. I'm pretty sure he's like a he's like a dark gray. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot of other drow, um, like I would say like tribes, quote unquote, just like different peoples that have different skin tones that you have not met yet. Because mm-hmm. I've been sort of working on that with my homebrew because as a result of Morankind's multiverse uh, monsters of the multiverse, because they've given a lot more rules into. All the races, adding more variety, more people inquiring about certain things with other with certain races, and actually applying them as rules. Yep. Like origins is uh, or the origin system in this is very important for some of the races. So, a lot of it seems to just be codifying stuff that people have been doing for decades now. It's 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 bringing back a lot of old lord stuff, old lord stuff, and making them accessible for player mm-hmm. races. Because like you have. Like, I guess the biggest thing that people were, like, really, beyond, like, the drow's, drow no longer being pure black, um, orcs no longer have a debuff in their intelligence levels, they just have yeah. a plus three now in their strength category, but you could well, still play a dumb orc. Well, they don't have the plus <coughs> threes anymore, because one of the first, well, the first thing that I think that to address is that uh, Mornkind's Monsters of the Multiverse just said, there are no racial stat adjust, ability score adjustments anymore, you just now either get... Uh, but your player's pick, you can either pick three ability scores, increase them by one, or pick an ability score, increase it by two, or, and another ability score, increase it by one. The origin system, everybody. It yes. does. It allows for, peop- allows for DMs and players to agree upon a set, a set of rules for their race. So orcs no longer have, like, their plus two or plus three, they now have the choice of plus two, plus one, or plus one across the board. Yep. For three. 
in it, it's interesting because you could have plus one across the board for an orc who comes from a city, mm-hmm. or you could have the plus two plus one for an orc that comes from a tribe or lives or, in the wilds or lives in a wizard's college or lives in a wizard's college. Yes, yeah, that sort of deal. It's essentially meant to try to avoid some of the more icky implications that be, of um, of uh, of the histories of different races, which is a. A very whole a whole discussion topic on its own, which they also address in this. Yeah, surprisingly, it's it's this is a pretty litigious document mm-hmm. in regards to reapplying the writers to making a game the game more interesting by adding variety within the variety. Yeah, as well as making the rules as written more fluff than crunch, which I don't mind. I I definitely think. In my opinion, in a game like this, player freedom is of the utmost importance. You know, I think there's a lot of people who probably wanted to make an orc wizard, and someone out there stopped them. You know, yeah, and, like if it, it's sort of like um, like you recently just went on a vampire Reddit I did. rabbit hole. Yep. Probably someone did the D and D orc meta rabbit hole, yep. and a lot of people for five people were like, no, barbarians, yep. warriors, yep. not wizards. Yep. Because mm-hmm. of their original stats, with their plus two, with a plus two and so strength, plus one in wisdom, I think they got because of survival, and then they took a neg- minus one to intelligence. Whatever it was, I think this now allows people to just come in with the character they want to make, and it prevents other people from kind of stamping it down. I mean, yeah, I mean the original, the original uh, Orca stat block was actually just plus one strength, minus one dexterity. Okay, the original. Yeah, for uh, Mistara in in Beckme. Oh, okay. Yeah. They've they've definitely changed because they had to, rem- as we talked about, um, they had to move away from the Tolkienian design. Yeah, for copyright into reasons. a more hmm. um, uh, Gygaxian design. Come two point Yeah, D and D orcs kind of came a little bit more tribal inspired, I guess. You yeah. Could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot more of the um, the wild orcs in Middle Earth and less of the Urukai. Yeah, the, exactly. Um, the um, uh, are there Orkai equivalent black orcs in D and D? There are. Well, they're the gray orcs in Faerun, which which are orcs from a different plane, right? right. That invaded Faerun because they conquered their world and wanted to go to a different I, one. I guess you could technically say that uh, the more class, the counterpart to to Urukai is just orcs. Or and orcs. The, yeah, well, I'd orcs. Say that, that's what I was thinking well, of. I say that you know a lot of Tolkienian orcs have much more in common with goblins. Well, they Down are. The fact that they're just oh. called goblins half the damn time in the books. Yeah, well, that's Well, in The Hobbit, they they're are. called goblins, but then when it came to writing The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, while well, this is becoming mm-hmm. a narrative deep dive with this, mm-hmm. I apologize. I'm, I don't. I'm like, the, I'm like one of the legendarium fans in our group. <laughs> um, He's the legendarium he, itself in our group. The, uh, the, he rewrote the, or, he wrote the orcs and created them because he thought the goblins were a bit too weak for the story he wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. So he created... He created this hierarchy where goblins are lesser orcs, but orcs are more... The orcs are elves who are corrupted by Morgoth, the first Dark Lord. So they're closer to the original elves that first came to Middle-earth. So what you're saying is that, or- is that Shadark is that Sh- Shadar Kai are the uh, mo- closest thing to orcs in D&D? No, because they've been changed I again. Again, I joke, I get you. Yeah. It's kind of in, like... Nothing. I'm the type of person to like ignore the problematic issues with Gygaxian race stuff, but even like sidestepping that and just looking at the changes mechanically, I think they're all relatively positive. I, I, I don't really see the negative necessarily because if, like you said, if you want to play your dumb orc, you, you can. can do that. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. 
you know. And I mean, I play I played a dumb Minotaur in uh, Nathan's game. Mm-hmm. I forgot. I, I have he's a, a, he's a barbarian. I have a character. Yeah. One of the one of the first five E character I ever made was in your game, and oh, and uh, it is a terrible character. And I was I remember talking about it with um, my girlfriend, and I would love to go back and redo that. He's like a pirate bard, but nobody believed him. So I think it would be funny if he was like a, 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 a what do they call it? Like the person who mops the, the decks. A swabby? A swabby, yeah. If he was like a swabby and his, all his tales what, were about other people or it'd whatever. Be fu- it'd be funny if you were a deck swabby, but like you actually, instead of taking like Rogue and Bard, you just went swashbuckler. Okay, yeah. So, so like the, you picked uh, up on a lot of shit, but you just yeah. never fought because you were on like a cargo yeah. ship. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just full of it. Actually, just I, uh, I mentioned it, but uh, there's a player returning from my first campaign in the homebrew setting. Um, oh, yeah. I did a rewrite with them on their character. Nice. And the excuse we made was that their initial backstory and the story they told everyone that everyone believed at the table is a lie and a fabrication. So, like, their new backstory is the truth, and we're kind of working it like that. So there's not a lot of problem with them being at level 7 now when they... Went into coma sure, at level yeah. three, level four. I think it's an elegant yeah, sure, enough solution. Sense. It's an it elegant works. enough solution. It's just like a, uh, eh, it's yeah. a wave. Many um, a serialization author has done such a thing. Yes, I mean, look at comic books. Yeah, look at comic so, books. Yeah. Happens every day. So, I guess going into it, because um, uh, uh, Nathan, you kind of uh, dropped in on uh, this conversation. Hello, a little bit. If but, we're equating this to Star Wars, you're you're the Landau Calrissian of the team. That's rude. Landau's no, no, important. No, I'm, no, he st- I'm he not, shows up in the second movie. I'm not calling him unimportant. I'm saying he's the new main character added in that in for the second film. That's fair. And then I'm, reduced I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, in the I'm third waiting, one. I'm waiting, which one of us is Han Solo then? I'm Han Solo. Nobody gets to argue otherwise. Okay, okay. so you get frozen in carbonite in this one. I do um, miss a couple episodes. So, yeah. <laughs> does that make you Leia, Elijah, and I get my hand cut off? Or do I lose my hand? Does that mean I'm Chewie? <laughs> 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 How about this? I, I, I'm Obi-Wan. Bye, guys. Oh, so you're already dead. Oh, well, okay. oh wait. I'm still part of the cast. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Because I'm, I'm this. I'm Legal the, obligations, Alec Guinness. Ghost Elijah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um... Alright, so, uh, the, in the book, it starts off with the creating your character oh section after the introduction, yeah. which is basically talking about, like, the the mechanical reasons why they sort of, like, did this. Um, the multi, the book, the, the book itself is to help people play races in other settings that don't necessarily have their own setting book yet. So, like, um, this allows you to be able to play... Um, uh, play play in uh, places like Oerth or Dragonlance, which doesn't have its new campaign setting book out yet or source book out yet, mm. or um, go into Mistara or Dark Sun, and be able to run stuff and go like, hmm, okay, if I'm an orc from D- or Dark Sun, I'd have this, this, and this instead of this and this. So a little bit more mechanical freedom in the creation process and allowing people to do less work in regards to converting uh, rules and settings. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll also just sort of intro- uh, reintroducing um, uh, Mordenkaiden in the universe and like sort of his experiences with it. Um, mm-hmm. l- listing off all the races that are talked about, and then. But I guess um, I, and the, the kind of looking at it at least uh, from the uh, 
app version of the thing, I'm looking at the character creation. I do kind of see one thing, a couple things. I guess I, I'm not all that hot on from a flavor perspective. All right, what's you going? What's what's your uh, what's the poison you're picking out of the and this is tube? admittedly more of a nitpick or a personal thing with me. It's under the, under the lifespan and the height and weight sections. Oh God, okay. I just like it when okay. So essentially, they say that you know all, they homogenize it all. So like all the different races, irregardless if they're a player character, they live about a century and they're usually within the same height range as a, as a normal human. I guess I just. One of the things I did like about it was how different races were, really, they're not races. I hate that word. They're species. Unless you're going to tell me a Warforged is related to a dwarf. And in which case, a warf- well, like, there's I mean, no saving you. I'm gonna go, are we going to go into the debate again about soulless things or things that have something akin to a soul? No. In a fantasy sense! <laughs> no, no, I was more like just saying that, you know... It make it's a, I did appreciate how, you know, for example, the turtle only lived to about, be what, 30, 40, 50 tops? Mm. I mean, you can but, still have that. I know, but it's just like saying essentially like in carte blanche. I, I guess I, a lot of the stuff I did like about it was a lot of this weird f- arbitrary flavor stuff that made the different species of, of the player races seem that much un- unique and different from each other. And So I think, I think this is missing a paragraph or mm-hmm. a sentence. Because it specifically cites dwarves and elves living for centuries, and if they if there are races that live longer than that typical uh, time frame, it's mm-hmm. mentioned. I would assume if the if longer lived races are mentioned, then shorter lived races are mentioned as well. Because right. Saros the Minotaur matures at thirteen, peaks at twenty, and then gets really gets really haggard by thirty. Mm. And the older a Minotaur is, the more useless they are, and the more likely they be killed by the tribe. Mm. Um. I'm a little confused by the height and weight thing. Essentially, you can be whatever height or height or weight you want your character to be, which is it's putting an it's, it's putting an image accessibility. Because mm-hmm. like I don't typically play elves, but I also don't really pay, make all my characters look like me. Yeah. So like, it's sort of like um, when Matt Mercer created the battle um, the battle chair, which is a uh, oh yeah the. Uh... <coughs> Excuse me, my god. Um, it's a, essentially a wheelchair mm-hmm. in D&D that gives accessibility to people who um, don't have use of their legs. Yeah. <coughs> so it allows, allows people who, who bring a chair with them wherever they go to play D&D, you know, wheelchair-bound individuals, it gives them the ability to put themselves in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead I mean, of having to play, I love that. But like, why would you want to play a tall gnome, for instance? Well, well no, no, mean, no. no. They're not saying they're not saying every race is the same height now. It's more that okay. there's there's averages across the side across the size modifiers. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot of things being unsaid, mm-hmm. but using the baseline medium size uh, modifier as like the baseline for what to expect. Yeah. Um. Okay. I guess before we get into, like, the races overall, like, for instance, the Tabaxi, in their origin uh, selection, when I was reworking um, Silas's character last night, you could either be a small Tabaxi or be a medium-sized Tabaxi, which means you can be a Tabaxi the size of, like, a house cat. Oh, wow. Well, you can be small be or medium. Wouldn't a house cat size be tiny? Unless you're a Maine Coon. They're, like, small. That's fair. <laughs> so, like, you could be, like, you could be, like, a Puss in Boots Tabaxi. Instead of a Khajiit Tabaxi. So I would like, uh, I have a new character concept I'd like to play, uh, CJ. Sure. Um, 
actually would love that. Right. <laughs> With my terrible Spanish accent. So they have. So can we just do a Puss in Boots campaign? <laughs> Dear God. Who gets to be Shrek? <laughs> no, we can't. We can't say too much more. DreamWorks is going to come crashing down. Wait, Fight they me. already came down as a company. We don't fucking oh. matter anymore. All right. Fight me, DreamWorks. I'll kick your ass, and then I'll buy the rights to Megamind to make the sequel you're too cowardly to make. Yes, that would be cool. <laughs> Can this be a Megamind podcast now? No. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to a very yeah. mega podcast. Oh my god. Um, so, kind of going through, they go. They obviously go in alphabetical order. Um, Aarakocra, pretty pretty standard. It's hmm. the barely's changed. They yeah. give more onus to like, well, they come from the elemental plane of air, but some like small groups of Aarakocra have gone out into the realms and have created settlements and colonies. Hmm. So like so there, you might encounter them because there are uh, thin layers within the veil between realms, especially with the primordial planes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also they still have their flight speed. They give. Um, they also do this for Tabaxi as well, but their talons. Um, um, they clarify that um, it's slashing damage instead of bludgeoning damage, mm-hmm. and um, that they get bonuses to using them. So it's 1d6 plus strength modifier instead of just being a flat. Yeah, because it's a weapon. Yeah. And then they also get Gust of Wind spell uh, uh, with their Wind Caller trait at third level. Mm-hmm. And then just a nice they, they get spell. an ability. Uh, plus they they get to choose Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma for their spellcasting ability with the Gust of Wind. So mostly unchanged. Mostly unchanged. It's, it's, a, lot more, it's a lot more flavorful, mm-hmm. as it were. This one gets really cool though. Um, for Azamar. Azamar finally have one have one eighth of the uh, customization options that Tiefling have. It's the the cool thing is, is that they're no longer just these bald, pale looking, bland, glowing people. It's you choose you can choose any sort of race as your skin, but you get the benefits of an Azamar mm. instead. Oh. Is how I read it. Exactly. So, like, um, uh, whether descended from a celestial being or infused with heavenly power, Azamar are mortals who carry a spark of the upper planes within their souls. They can fan that spark to bright light, ease wounds, and unleash the fury of the heavens. Uh, Azamar can arise among any population of mortals. They resemble their parents, but they live for up to 160 years and often have features that hint at their celestial heritage. Because this is taking the system from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft with heritages. Mm-hmm. So you can play a human dampier or an elven dampier, but you take the dampier stat block instead of the elf or human stat blocks. Yeah. So it's the same Neat. thing for Azamar. So you could play Tormod Gildawakanla as an Azamar. You don't get the benefits of the of the, to- of, of the, the Goliath, Goliath stuff, but you get the celestial shit, and you get you have they give a um one d six roll for what could be your celestial features if you don't want to design it yourself with your DM. Mm-hmm. And then you get your racial traits. You can be a medium or small Azamar. Once again, showing that you can pretty much come from any racial background. Yep. Um, you get uh, resistance to necrotic damage and radiant damage. That's, that's pretty good. Um, because celestial background. Um, you got dark vision. Which makes sense. Yep. You got your healing hands. So you get... Uh, you can you, It's basically a, ju- a layer in hands junior. Um... Uh, you get you can roll number of d4s equal to your proficiency bonus, 
and you heal that many points on a per, on a creature that you touch, uh, based on the number you roll. It's melee. It's melee healing word. You also get the light bearer, uh, light cantrip, and you use your charisma for the stat block. And you get your choice of um, one of three options for your celestial revelation. Basically, giving yourself you can either be get a necrotic shroud. Um, which means like you get like these ghostly flightless wings sprouting from your back, radiant consumption. Um, nice. yep. You can just bamf light uh, from your face, and then radiant soul. You get spectral rings that spread out from your back tempor- temporarily, and you get a flying speed. For those with uh, some kind of sharp eagle-, eagle ears, you might realize that essentially the three sub races of Asimar were just kind of rolled into this one ability set because otherwise the only major difference was uh, they had a different ability score modifier and. Since those uh, are no longer determined by your race, uh, you, they no point in keeping them. In, in point of fact, uh, that is one thing I noticed looking at all these, is that sub-races effectively don't exist anymore, mechanically. Each uh, sub-race, if they exist, is pretty much just a new race all on its own. It's more of a, fl- it's more of a flavor text of like uh, where you're from in a world. Yeah. So if you were to, say, play a, a Favorin orc, they're more based on strength, so they get a plus two to their strength and maybe like a plus one to wisdom because of survival. Mm-hmm. Whereas a great orc could get uh, like a plus one to strength, plus one to intelligence, and plus one to wisdom. Yeah, or just whatever they, you want. they're a completely different orc. But I will say, I do miss uh, having get, having to roll a, di- a die for radiant, for radiant consumption. That's fair. But I, I guess we'll get into that too because there was a video that I watched that was talking about how 5.5 could be erasing short rests. Really? We'll, oh, yeah. we, can, we can get into that later. Um, uh, looking at bugbears, uh, for bugbears, goblins, and hobgoblins, they've all gone far back into the archives of D&D history <coughs> and pulled out their fey ancestry. Wow. So you get <laughs> fey options for the the three major goblinoid uh, clans. Um, so like you have fey ancestry, so you... Um, you have advantage on saving throws uh, against uh, the charmed condition. You're still long-limbed. Um, you still have the powerful build, which allows you to... You count as one size larger uh, when determining carrying capacity and uh, weight you can push, drag, or lift. Mm-hmm. They're also still stupidly sneaky. Yeah. Because bug beer, bug bears are weird like that. And you, yep, and though it did also get an, another interesting little... You get surprise uh, attack. If you become an assassin bugbear, do you get two surprise attacks? Um, so no, you, so surprise attack is a different thing from sneak attack. Yeah, but uh, assassin has a thing that's uh, uh, if a character is surprised or it hasn't taken a turn yet in combat, you automatically get a critical. And this one is just an extra two d six. Yeah, this is more like if okay. you if you attack a creature and you hit, you can mm-hmm. you can choose to add two d six damage if that if that wow. creature hasn't taken a turn yet in combat. So like if. You're a bugbear assassin, and you get a sneak attack on somebody that ha- because you acted first, or like a bugbear swashbuckler. That's a ludicrous amount of damage. Just yeah. boom. I mean, bugbears themselves are just they're mm. devastating. Like one levels one to five bosses. It's sneak attack dice plus an extra two plus their reach. Plus critical. They have ten. They have ten. They have they have, they have ten foot reach. It's crazy. I'm pretty sure, right? Long yeah, they have five feet greater, so they have normal reach. So they have plus. They have plus yeah. to reach. And I do want to say one thing that's interesting with the sneak attack, uh, with the sneaky part, is if you look at the se- second sentence, you can just fit in a space small enough for a small creature. Basically, they're cats. Bugbears are ferrets. <laughs> that makes me want to play a bugbear. 
That's yeah, it's really cool. I think this is the first. This is like the first big change we're seeing here. Bugbears are still, in many ways, that sneaky, dam spiky, da spike damage race that we know and love. Play them if you play a rogue. You're gonna have a lot of fun. And it's and it's just funny because you look like you're supposed to be like a roguish thug when instead you're actually like the best assassin in Faerun. Yeah, I mean, they've always been like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, I guess it's just kind of bringing them back to origin. This is kind of what this book kind of kind of does overall. Um, another race that got more connection to the Feywild, the Centaur. Yep, they are now officially just a Fey creature type. Yep, they are more. They display more Elven um, characteristics as opposed to um, Equine features within their uh, humanoid face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't mind that personally. Like, there's, it's it, like centaurs themselves in myth are just like, oh, it's a human body on top of a horse. Who now controls drunk. it? Who controls it? Prometheus or Poseidon? We don't know. Oh, um, neither. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they, uh, but they're now considered fae. They get the they get equine build. They also get, um, which is just powerful build with another name. <clears throat> you can also you, you use your hooves. For unarmed strike, um, and but you only have if you move thirty feet in a straight line. And one of the things, the special thing they gave them is um, they have natural affinity, so their their fake connection to nature. Um, get, you, they get a proficiency; they can choose proficiency in animal handling, medicine, nature, or survival. Mm -hmm. On top of everything else, they get from background your class. Which means if you have the, if you're playing a higher level campaign, you can choose expertise in one of these things at higher levels. And you get the proficiency at level one. Which adds more variety to the party and it makes it's it's they're slowly introducing more in this the importance of your proficiency skills in a campaign as a player. Just because like like I've noticed a lot and Emma can attest to this, whenever I ask for a skill check or a save, there's a lot of people failing their roles at the table. That's just because the dice hate me. The dice hate people. But at the same time, it's just like, you guys are like, oh shit, am I proficient in that? Ah, oh, I don't get a great bonus with this. Mm. So like, this, is getting, this is giving more of that specialization to a character. Because like, this kind of makes a centaur, ro uh, centaur ranger viable, and it's scary. <laughs> and I like it. Or a centaur druid. I mean, centaur druid too, yeah. Alright. <laughs> um, another cool thing with more connection to the Feywild, the Changeling. Yeah, a lot of Fey stuff. <clears throat> I mean, they just did uh, they just did uh, the Wild uh, uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight adventure, which added added uh, fairies and Harringon as playable races. Oh, yeah. So they had, they had to bring the Feywild back to races that were legitimately from the Feywild before, because like Changelings were introduced in Ravnica oh, as a race right. option. No, no, I thought they were. Eberron. Because change, mm. the Changeling D and D race originated in the, in Eberron alongside Warforged. And I'm saying that the I'm saying that the the um, the first iteration of them came back in Five E from Ravnica. Really? Yeah. I oh. know Changelings are in Ravnica. There's a there's a uh, shapeshifters are uh, well Vendalkin. Uh, Vendalkin are are different than Changelings. Or Very different. I'm trying to remember that now. Because in, in I knew about because uh, yeah because they have Vendalkin in the acquisition in Ravnica. There's a guild called the Dimmer that employs what. Magic calls shapeshifters what D and D would call changelings. Yeah, because um, I thought they were introduced first in Ravnica. Nope. The let's see. The first version was uh, in Five E. Yeah. So in Five E we had the Honor of Arcana. Then we had the Aberon version. Okay. 
which from Wayfinders. Okay. And then the that second, and then the third one was from the good cool. Eberron book, Rising from the Last War. Okay. Cool. Very cool. I don't have to do the corrections for that. Um, Hi. We're already doing it live. Great. Um, yeah, let's see. Changeling traits. Um, you get uh, two, you get to choose two for uh, changeling instincts. You get to choose uh, two skills uh, for proficiency: deception, insight, intimidation, performance, or persuasion. And then they give you your shape changer ability that you did before. So changeling instincts is like the major change to that. Um, uh, deep gnomes, Smurfeblin. Uh, they uh, so quote uh, suffused with that subterranean realm's magic, they can supernaturally camouflage themselves, and their smurfeblin magic renders them difficult to locate. Uh, these abilities have enabled them to survive for generations among the perils of the underdark. Like other gnomes, no, deep gnomes can live for centuries, up to five hundred years. So that's the, that's our, I think that's our first race that lives longer than a century. Asimar, one sixty. Oh yeah, okay. Yep. These are like the first very long lived. Yep. Because I would I like I would consider half elves to be able to live longer than humans on average. Mm-hmm. Maybe a maximum of hundred and ten pushing it. Mm-hmm. But that's only drawing enough from their um, their elf heritage mm-hmm. for that long life. And uh, before we get into the mechanics of this race, uh, I think this actually wouldn't be a bad time to talk about the, how they've actually removed a lot of what would be considered some of the more stereotypical um, flavor and baggage from a lot of these races. And I think it's for the better. Yes. But essentially they've done with this book is... Uh, sorry, I'll just make my point real quick. Yeah. Is they've made... Is that they've given these uh, descriptions for the different races, they made them a lot more setting neutral. Essentially just quickly stating out some basic facts. You know, as opposed to, say, the old descriptions which were like, Dwergard, uh, or uh, sorry, Sverf Neblin. They're not evil, but they're really xenophobic. Essentially, kind of yeah. uh, pre-writing in a lot of the racial trait, uh, <coughs> racial traits and culture. That while D and D does seem to be moving along more towards essentially these neutral settings that don't have a lot set up for different rate for different cultures in different countries, leaving it in for the DMs and players to flush out flush out on their own. Yeah, I agree because. Um... Yes, Merfeblin are no longer xenophobic, but that's also, like, this being Mordenkainen's uh, Monsters of the Multiverse, like, his general guide on how these races, on average, sort of act, mm-hmm. from his perspective, um, <coughs> uh, excuse me, in source books, you will still have, like, those specific details about the races in their respective settings, but this gives an easier route for the homebrew to occur in a ca- for a campaign creation, or if yeah. someone wants to play the... Uh, the Dritz to Orden of the Smurfeblin, where they're actually, like, friendly and welcoming because they're a druid, um, th- then they're able to, like, play that without having to, like, write a, like write their character against the grain on purpose. There's, it allows a welcoming uh, hand in that that brushing away of the old um, the old problematic stuff, especially with Duergar. Mm-hmm. Um, so with these, with the Smurfeblin, they get the gift of the Smurfeblin at third level. Um, they can cast Disguise Self, and then starting at fifth, they can get they can cast the non-detection spell without requiring a material component. And if they cast either of those, they can only cast one, uh, either one per day after a long rest. And then uh, you can, they can also cast the spells uh, spells using spell slots of the appropriate level. 
So, so giving them more of their magical ability, and they could choose intelligence, wisdom, or charisma for those spellcasting abilities for those two spells. Yep. You also get some <coughs> nice little uh, advantages on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws against spells, as well as the Smurfabling camouflage. Um, they make a they get advantage on on uh, stealth checks. Though uh, you seem to have to pick and choose when you give yourself that advantage. Yeah, it's a, uh, uh, use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So proficiency bonus is sort of becoming like the new frequent flyer. <coughs> Excuse me. Gesundheit. <coughs> Do it again, the devil hops out of your lungs. <laughs> Do it, you fucking coward. <laughs> You're wrong. Kick his ass. Kick his ass. Um, so, yeah, and I do agree with what, with what you're saying. They do seem to be replacing a lot of short rest centric abilities with saying you can just do them as many times as your as your proficiency bonus, then you finish a long rest. Which which is kind of funny because it's, it feels that feels like a very four e crunchy rule. Yeah, these are essentially become these are essentially becoming. Um, well, it's weird because you know four you had a very different way of uh, scheduling out its powers. It was all built around the encounter. Yeah, the the, four, the 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 based on your proficiency bonus is a lot more based on like the character's level and like your your experience in the campaign as opposed to um, these arbitrary these not necessarily arbitrary but these very important rules and rest periods that may not happen in something like um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage or yeah. during the peak important sections of like Descent into Avernus or even in um Rhyme of the I- uh Rhyme of the Ice Queen. Frostmaid. Yeah, Rhyme of the Frostmaid, thank you. Where you don't necessarily have access to a long rest or a short rest all the time. So like it gives it gives you the ability to be able to use those things and plan out encounters better. Both as a DM and as a player, to where you actually match up uh, with everyone's proficiency as opposed to their per day use. Kind of puts everyone's abil- racial abilities on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, going into Dwergar, uh, they're no longer horrifically fucking evil. They're more of a people uh, scarred and bruised by their interaction with the mind flayers. mind flayers and sort of taking their survival instincts and the things they learned from them and using it to their um, advantage as a thriving race in the Underdark. Sort of giving you the ability to just make the Dwergar a separate, uh, cl- a separate series of clans of dwarves. Yep. Essentially, <coughs> it gives you something to make your underground dwarves more distinct from the regular underground dwarves. The, like the deep subterranean dwarves mm-hmm. as opposed to the um, surface, uh, surface dwarves. Or as I might think to just do them, volcano dwarves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, get, they, get, they get superior dark vision, like the drow. Uh, up to 120 feet. And then they get Dwergar magic, sort of like the Smurfeblin, but they get enlarged and reduced at 3rd level, and they can cast Invisibility at 5th level. And then the same Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma for um, for the spellcasting ability. So I guess it's like, they're giving you those three because if you play like a Dwergar wizard, wizard mm-hmm. uh, Intelligence. And, yep, or if you're playing a Cleric, Wisdom, or many any of the three... Thir- three Sorcerer, Charisma. <laughs> Paladin, Charisma. Warlock? Charisma. Yeah. Art. Charisma. Charisma. Artificer. Charisma. There's, really? there's, I feel, no, I feel, they're, they're intelligence. I know. Yeah. Even though we've talked about this before, we've, we've, we've discussed the, 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 the fact that wizards could be wisdom. Should be. Should I was be. saying more of a chari- uh, sorcerer should be constitution. 
<laughs> based on the health of their blood. Yes, that's not a bad idea. It's funny it's though. It's not an idea I can claim. claim but it's no, like, uh, hey, where's the tank wizard? Sorcerer yeah. walks in with <laughs> boom, two hundred health. Like, I mean, what's up? What? That, that, to be that, that, fair, that, that, most sorcerers are shown as uh, unironically really buff in a lot of artwork. Yeah, mo- uh, mostly because of their mostly because of like draconic infernal heritages yeah. based on that. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think so, there are too many charisma casters. What was that there are. That's a, that's been a pretty common complaint in five D. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes sense <laughs> mechanically, like. It feels good to be a charisma caster, which is probably why they yeah. do it so often. Well, yes, um, because charisma, while we joke, while it's often joked about being the dumb stat, it really is the stat of, uh, I'm just going to uh, pretend today. Yeah. Yep. Um, on top of that, they get Dwarven Resilience, uh, which ought with you... Um, advantage, in, advantage on saving throws against poison. You also have resistance to the poison damage. And they also get Psionic Fortitude. Um, they have advantage on saving flows to avoider and charmed or stunned conditions. Which is nice and cool. I like it. Definitely flavorful from the uh, the mm-hmm. Mind Flayer uh, enslavement and backstory. And so there's some, uh, some <coughs> interesting changes here from the Dwergar. You know, there's a bit of a step away from making them just like a pure bruiser race with some weird magic selection. Yeah. Because now we get them having just like Here's a lot of here's a lot of tools here. You know, you're gonna be really hard to put status conditions on. Yeah, um, and then after that, we get the Eladrin, uh, another in, uh, the best kind of elf. The introduced in four E, but these they make the Eladrin the actual high elves. Yeah, like I love it because it, which makes sense because like these guys are based on the seasons. They are. They live the longest, I think, out of the race, uh, of the elf sub races. Seven hundred fifty. Seven hundred fifty years old. Yeah, I think they all do, but like Aladrin, because of the Feywild and time being weird. Yeah, they're basically eternal. Yeah. Um, and we do, and we also get a lot more. We also do get some interesting things. Uh, one one thing just to note is that if I recall correctly, whenever you finish training. Okay, no, I was mistaken about that. <clears throat> oh, this is really cool. Looking at this, um, so you get to choose your season, and your season um, can change using the trance ability. So instead of for the other elf races, you get to use uh, their trance to change uh, to get an additional tool or um, weapon proficiency. They can use it to change their season. And you also get the two proficiencies. So Eladrin are Eladrin specifically the... the high elves of any setting. And I will effectively. Say, and mechanically, <laughs> you have to quickly jump. This affects their your seasonal affect your ability, your phase step uh, ab- racial ability. It's essentially a you can teleport, and then there's going to be some really cool different effects. Some flavor text for when you do it. Well, no, not just flavor text. Actual mechanical I know. crunch effects. It's 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 flavor text when describing it because it's oh, no yeah. longer like a oh this happens when you do this. It's like oh no this happens when you do it. It it, it changes the context of the ability. Yeah. Um, especially when you're planning out your um, your actions because also they also give a um, uh, in, an increase on it when you reach third level. Um, you gain the additional effect of your season. Yeah. At third level, so it becomes you. <coughs> you could stay as one season up until third level, and then when it becomes, when the seasons change in the game, you then can change your season, and then that has an effect on your face step. Uh, fairies, the next race on here, because we're going in alphabetical order. Um, the first of the small, the first of like the 
it's categorized as small, but it, it's tiny. I mean, I have two fairy miniatures in here. No, you're just playing a gigantic fairy. <coughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Enlarge a fairy just to become a medium-sized creature. Um, yeah. Uh, you get a 1d8 choice on fey characteristics, if you want. You get the druidcraft cantrip for fairy magic. You also, starting at third level, cast fairy fire. Um, you choose intelligence, wisdom, charisma for your spellcasting ability for it. And cast it with spell slots you have available. You also have a fight speed. And it's based on whether or not you are, um, if you're not wearing medium or heavy armor. So how small are these fairies? <laughs> They're a small size creature. So I have so... a miniature. So is it gnome or are we talking like Tinkerbell? This is a fairy in reality. Okay, Counts so as a yeah. small creature. And, yeah, so it's small. That being said, yeah. Hang out on your shoulders. Small. Would be like the size of your hand, but in reality, and like maybe rules more like wise, a, it'd be more like yeah, this big. Rules, uh, rules wise, based on the fact that they say you know you are small as opposed to you, you they're which, kind of like the size of like my forearm. Well, that would still be yeah. kind of ti- that would still be I think tiny. Yeah, you probably so like the, a small so, size creatures are like gnomes, ho- hobbit, halflings. Sorry, I don't want to get sued. Like, not like that big. I mean, like that's a huge. Yeah, they call they're they're no they're they're fairies are wee folk, so they're still this size. There's just there's no longer a tinier diminutive like category. Up to which makes so no fairies. So 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 uh, so so here's the thing: small category goes up goes down to diminutive. So you can this is okay, still considered so small category. Like my knee would be small. But this is also considered small. So, like a fairy, a fairy being the size of your palm, that's still considered small within the game's rules, mechanically. That's ridiculous. Uh, let's see. Let's go. Let's go look it up here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Though I two guess, to three feet tall. The, yeah. Though I, one thing, I guess I do think that the fa- yeah. So that'd be like maybe my knee. For fairies or for the small for, category? For the small size category. Fa- fairies look like human or children. They stand two to three feet so, tall. So I think if, they, if they're... Yeah, so... So they're more like gelflings. Yeah. They're leprechauns. So, like, to my knee. That'd be a massive fairy. Yeah. With but Just imagine... Yeah, something that looks like this. That size. That'd be terrifying. Fairies are officially the most terrifying of the player races. Oh, fairies are the halflings of elves. Uh, <laughs> kind of, yeah. I can see that. They say that yeah. the most fairies look like small elves with insectile wings, but each fairy has a special physical characteristic that sets the fairy apart. I mean, in all reality, two two feet is still really small. It's just, I mean, compared to, uh, it's a big fairy. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you really wanted to like change up your fairies to be actually small, like, you can get. Oh, they they get they the re- enlarge reduce at third level. Yeah. So you can reduce yourself to that small size because you can. Allo- fairies are allowed to do that within lore. I'm imagining like a fairy being able to like hang on to a blade of grass. Yeah, that's what you do. No, this, one is, this one is the, the size of a kindergartner. Oh my gosh! I mean, to be fair, if we we're to look at like traditional changeling lore within uh, within fairy stories, that's fair. They're ch- they're fairies who take the shape of children and are given back to their parents to swap for the real child they're kidnapping and bringing back to the wild, and they don't age because they're fairies. Mm-hmm. So. In reality, these are just changeling children, but they're elven halflings. So, <laughs> with I, wings and a flight speed. And look, so imagine an army of fairies 
just going over your castle walls with fucking crossbows and bows and javelins, just killing your people. So, like I said... And it's an army of children, but they're all 500 years old. <laughs> like, so, like I said, fairies are now the <coughs> most terrifying player race available. Does that, does that mean you could also technically play the elves from uh, a Santa Claus? Yeah. Accurately now? Yes, you can. <laughs> so, I, would just, I just do have two comments I want to make real quick about the fairies. Firstly, um, looking at the fake characteristics uh, table, I found the one that I will always use. Uh, what? You will smell. You smell like fresh brownies. I saw that one too. Okay, I do, like that. do you mean fresh baked brownies or like the brownie goblin? The you baked smell like brownies. fresh baked brownies. brownies, like fresh from the bog, like no, fresh <laughs> from the oven. The second one is that I think looking at this race, I, this race, I, I, get, I know that they get their fairy magic oh. is a very powerful trait, but why don't they have favors ancestry or fey resilience? Um, because they get fey magic. They but get fairy magic. Would it make sense for them to also have fate ancestry? <laughs> I, I think it's just a mechanical thing. No, yeah, but I get it. But I guess they do have fate ancestry because they're considered a fae. No, I mean as in the ability, the racial trait fae so ancestry. It's because so because they still have their original abilities as fairies. Fate ancestry de- is determined by like if you are a, a sun elf, you have fate ancestry because you're mm-hmm. descended of the Eladrin, who are still direct fae. Yeah, I guess it's just weird that, you know, fae, <coughs> literally, you are a fae in the most literal sense, but you don't have any of the... Uh, some I mean, the, the, same thing, the same thing goes for the Harangon, as well as the Owl Folk. The mm-hmm. Centaur didn't have uh, fae ancestry, and yeah, they but, were fae. Yeah, they're, they're, they're direct also, fae. Yeah. Because they're no longer creature humanoid, they're creature fae. Mm-hmm. So fae ancestry is only for creatures who are humanoids who have blood tied to the fae. They, that's, a ver- that's a very clear delineation now. Uh, I, guess, I guess it just seems to me that maybe mechanically this race could have used like you, one more feature. Do you know? Do, here's the thing: uh, the characteristics are very specific because I could totally see Tony Dieter Lidzi drawing the fate of the fairy art because you can have insectile legs. Yeah, you can look creepy. You can also have a spectral horn on your forehead, like a little unicorn horn, according to this. So hear me out. Um, Constant mist art, of glitter. Whatever you so, want. So hear me out. You have bird wings. So hear me out. Like antennas. That girl from uh, like mantis. Is that the from girl Mars? Oh yeah, from, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hear me out. I think I just thought about it and wait to make the fairy the fairy race even more horrific. They're just mm. kindergartner sized tooth fairies from Harry Potter. No. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Next race. Uh, Furballs. I love furballs. Cowboys. Yeah, uh, they they make they um. They address their uh, original giant t- uh, giant uh, um, ancestry. They're just primeval giants that fell into the uh, the Feywild. Into the Feywild. Um, they are considered humanoid. They have fear bulb magic. They don't have Fey ancestry because they're giant kin. Yeah, they're giant mutants. They have the ability to turn giant invisible giants. at the start of, until the start world? of their next turn what? because Does of the Colossus of Furbolg. No, just figured I'd ask. Um, they also have powerful builds, same as the centaurs. Um, and they have speech of beast and leaf, which is just, you can communicate, uh... In a limited manner with beasts, plants, and vegetation. That's fun. I feel like that's redundant. Vegetation is plants. Well, I think because plants is a specific creature type, because it's capitalized. That's right. So you, okay. you can talk to mandrakes, as well as grass. Though they can't talk back. Hello, grass. Can you grow a little? Can you grow a little bit straighter, please? Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. And, and um, this is also a much, a very much, a, almost seemingly an entirely unchanged uh, race. It's a, it's just refining more of their character, their racial characteristics a bit better. Yeah, I think. 
Um, they also get detect magic and disguise self uh, for their for bold magic. It's kind of fun. Um, and a hidden step. Yeah. Yeah. The gen- the genasi. Ah, uh, the genasi. Four races in one. Yep, they this um, they the same as the Azamar. You take the traits of the specific genasi you want mm-hmm. to play as. I think um, all of them get dark vision. All of them have different flavors of magic based on the elements. Um, they each get a different resist elemental resistance for their race. Um, you get to choose a medium or small because now it's based on your your half human half jinn as a genasi. You take on human looking features, but have your fire jinn uh, parents uh, features as well and abilities. The, the one ra- uh, sub race of Gen- of genasi that don't actually have dark vision is a water genasi. They trade that out for a swim speed. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, no, you've not been, Bree. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And they do also, and it's also no, cool. No, oh, no, they do have dark vision. It's at the very bottom. Why is that the very bottom? Uh, because Amphibious takes more precedence, I guess. It also could just they be probably forgot about a, form, a, formatting, <laughs> a formatting error. These get constant updates, so yeah. like, errata is no longer a problem. They just automatically update the, the PDFs. Yeah, they forgot about it, so they added it later. <clears throat> I, yeah, because that means they could go into the deep depths of the ocean and like see shit down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also does seem like each of the different uh, races of Genasi have their own, uh, well, almost all of them have their own form of uh, damage resistance. Yep, air resists lightning, gets a free feather fall. Which is good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. They also can just hold your breath indefinitely. They also have an increased uh, movement speed. They have 35 feet instead oh, of 30. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Because they're on, on air, as it will. Because, because they're the Flash, the fastest mm-hmm. Genasi alive. <laughs> Earth Genasi have, uh, alongside Dark Vision, they have uh, Earth Walk, which is just like, screw you, difficult terrain. Haha, these spikes on the these spikes on the ground no longer affect me. Oh shit, a cliff! <laughs> like, um, they also get the Blade Ward cantrip for Merge with Stone. Which I, which I like. They also get Pass Without a Trace because they kind of look like stone, which is interesting. Um, going on from there, uh, your favorite, uh, the Gith, uh, Gith going into the Gith Yonki. Um, well, we don't want to talk about fire or water, Genasi? I mean, fire and water things. They get fire and water stuff. It's, oh. it's, um, really it's basically, it's basically giving them abilities that they should already have as a race, because originally yeah. you got to choose spells mm-hmm. of that element, but now you're given a set list, which are more utilitarian based on your, uh, Genasi subtype. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, like, still that, like, you could play a gnome, water, water ganasi. Because you don't take your gnomish traits, you take your water ganasi traits, because those are the things that magically take over your, your biology. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Because it's no longer now, oh, I play this human, vaguely humanoid gin heritage thing. It's now, oh, I'm a tabaxi, but my father was an, was an earth gin, so, I look like a cat statue walking around. And it's like, that's pretty fucking cool. And it's one of those things from Elden Ring. Oh, God, no. No, not the watchdogs. All right. I think it would be with these with these um, half, like, these races that have ancestry to planar beings, I think it would be interesting if they had some sort of mechanic where you could replace one trait with a trait from your parent race. Like, if you were a gnome water genasi, I mean, maybe I mean, you I, could get rid of... With- Fire resistance and put they, in a gnome thing. They probably, I think they. I think that's probably going to be something maybe in the future of like having 
um, like racial op- like racial options. Yeah. On top of that, so like, because it because like be the her- it seems like the heritage and the origin system are going to be taking more precedence in character creation than literally selecting your race. Because if you were like a fairy. Uh, ASMR or whatever, like you'd still want flying, right? You know? Well, the thing is with fair with that, it'd be like, I think there's, I think there's probably a certain like lore limitation at that point based on sure, your setting, because you know, like if you're if you're if you're fae, you don't have celestial connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially one overrides the other. Yeah, because essentially it's like what 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 is your plane of origin? Yeah, okay. if you are a fae ancestry, you're most likely an elf or a goblin. Or a centaur. Yeah, or a centaur. Well, even centaurs are elf-looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Gith. Going into Githyanki. Um, so, they have an interesting little thing uh, with their astral knowledge skill. On yes. Racial trait. Uh, prepare, paving, the, paving the way for the Spelljammer setting. Which, this is where they get the entirely busted ability to pick a proficiency in one skill of your choice after a long rest. That is very busted. I, uh, there's mm. a subclass for rogues that lets you do this, and it's like is super that powerful. Mastermind? It might be also. I was thinking Githyanki of Phantom. Masterminds. Here we come. <laughs> oh no, so many skill proficiencies. <laughs> you're basically you're basically the tool belt of the party. Well, that's what rogues are anyway, actually. So, and you also get a small selection of uh, of some spells uh, from get that are kind of psionic-y in the theme. You get mage hand, jump, God, uh, misty step. They are. Psychic Resilience. Uh, well, here's the thing. Psionics are, are already back in the game, but they're subclasses amongst the base classes. Okay. There's no Psionicist, much to my chagrin. I kind of like Psionics. It's because, if, it's because the Adept class was horrifically hated by everyone who looked at the playtest. But here's the thing. Let me create a character and then roll to see if it lives. Out of, out of <laughs> all... <laughs> beyond, beyond the joke of sorcerers needing to be con spellcasters, Psionicists should be con spellcasters. Because originally, when you rolled a psionicist, you had to roll, you had to roll a d twenty to see if he survived. And if you rolled a one, your head exploded before you even got to the end. Also, <laughs> Dean, con wizard or con sorcerer. Yeah, that would be good. cool. That's a cool idea. <laughs> yeah. Also, also, essentially, so, essentially, psionicists were D and D's attempt to rip off that one sci-fi game. Which one? There was an old sci-fi tabletop game where if, I forget what it was called, but essentially, you had to roll for your character's background and their backstory. So you could, and you can literally, while you're doing this, roll it such that your character dies. Just, <laughs> your character's backstory is they crashed into an asteroid. Whoops! Yeah, <laughs> I think you got to start all over again. I think I, I would just, I just really like shard mines. I'd like to see shard mines come back. Maybe you could give them some sort of psionicist we, flavor. We, we could, we could do a one shot together and read the shard mine PDF that I have. Okay, let's be, do it. I love cool. the shard mines. I think they're so cool. And so also resistance to psychic damage. Get the Anki are cool. Also interacted with the mind flayers in space. I'm a rock person. <laughs> I'm a rock person. Yes, yes. yes. Rock. they are nude. Also, also, I have psychic powers. I'm a psychic. And I'm then a... the other half of the gif, the gifzera, <laughs> um, uh, the the folks who live in limbo, uh, and basically are a race of monk gif <laughs> because of limbo, as opposed to the fighter gif, the gif yankee. You know, space pirates. Space, space, space Jedi, space corsairs, eh, space Jedi. Hmm, Wait, kinda. that's kind of redundant, isn't it? <laughs> space Jedi. Get your space samurai out of my space Jedi, George Lucas. What? 
pieces gets triad. <laughs> their, uh, their psionics are a little different. Yep, they, yes, because they're more magic based. Yep, they replace yeah. jump and misty step with uh, shield and, and detect, detect thoughts. They're like, you're thinking about about Gary Guy. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also uh, or they're like, oh, magic whistle. They also replace that astral knowledge ability with instead having uh, resist advantage on saving throws against charm and frightening. Yep. Okay, and they're still resistant to psychic damage. Yeah, it makes sense because if Get Zara appearing into the void and talking to the things out in the outer, the outer planes, and they're getting knowledge back, it makes sense that they get to choose a proficiency once per long, uh, skill proficiency once per long rest. I, I don't mind that as much. It's the only the one. Yeah, the, the Githyanki, yeah. Yeah, the Githyanki. Um, and then we have my girlfriend, the goblins. goblins. <laughs> we have too many goblins in this group. There are too um, many goblins in this podcast. So This is crazy. So they talk about um, um, Maglubiet, the original, um, the god who conquered, the god who killed the goblins, original god in the Feywild. <laughs> and like sort of how like they've been driven into the realms and here's like generally speaking what they are like so they get their fey ancestry, ancestry because they're no longer living in the fey wild much like their bugbear and hobgoblin kin mm-hmm. um they're small they get the fury of the small ability which is always fun and then they get nimble escape they which can is... take the disadvantage or hide action as a bonus action it's if they really end good goblin it's really thieves. good Arcane tricksters, great fucking little shit. So crazy, wow! Not the brave, everybody. Or and of course, everyone's favorite, Boblin the Goblin. Yes. <laughs> uh, getting uh, go, go, moving forward, <laughs> my boys. We, we have your your kin, the Goliaths, uh, the Jotunar in my homebrew. Um, yep. Sadly, they've uh, lost a little bit of their flavor. Some of the less. Uh, Tasteful parts of their official flavor. And your height is... Your your really big fucking height is now canon. You're considered a little bit small amongst your kin. Well... Seven to eight feet tall is I'm, now the range. To be fair, I went within one... A D4 roll of being a large-sized creature. That's fair. Which means uh, I might turn into a large-sized creature when I hit a certain level in our campaign. Yeah, I know. It's gonna be Hell. terrifying. <laughs> you're no longer gonna be able to enter the dungeon. You're someone's gonna have to cast Reduce on you. <laughs> or you have to get... Like, or you have to get, like, a ring of Reduce. <laughs> So um, yeah, so Goliaths actually are, are since I've had. I'm just gonna leave this, this to you because you. Okay, so. Yeah, Gal- do it. So with Goliaths, while the names, so while, so with Goliaths, so the names have changed a little bit, and uh, two of their abilities, the natural athlete and powerful build abilities, have been merged into the little giant abilities, which gives them proficiency in athletics, and they're also considered one size larger for carrying capacity. Uh, there's only one actual change, and that's with their Stone's Endurance ability, which now keys off of their uh, proficiency modifier as opposed to... So their proficiency s- skill, as opposed to your... Uh, as opposed to doing it once per short rest. Uh, this is... The Goliaths really have received nothing but a buff from this. This also uh, codifies and puts in a book their resistance to cold damage, which was, uh, for those of you who may not know, not part of the original Goliath kit. That was nope. at... That was added in during in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Yep. It made them a lot more viable as a tanking race. Where did as you well, get your giant form? Uh, from a Rune Knight skip class. Okay. Yeah, Ver- Rune Knight Goliaths are pretty boss. Yeah, it just that's a very flavorful fit. Yeah. Yeah, and so so essentially, Goliaths have not have like I said, not been changed much at all. They're still the awesome tanky boys and and girls that you want. 
and introduced as a playable race back in 3.5 with Player's Handbook 3, I think. True, but codified into its recognizable state in... 4E. 4E. 4E did a lot of in the same stuff, In the same it? volume, yeah. uh, Player's Handbook, Volume 3, alongside the Dragonborn. Volume 2. Volume and, 2, was And it? Dragonborn were Volume 1. Volume mm-hmm. 1, oh, they, repl- wow. they took the place of the Half-Orc. And the Elod- because they wanted to think of something a lot less rapey for their backstory. Oof. Uh, yeah, that's right. And you know what? We don't have to worry about that anymore, because once we get to the orcs, you'll see why we don't have to worry about it. Thank God. Fucking hell. All right. All right, off to a new race. The, the Herringons. The rabbit people, everybody. Um, Furries, D&D is officially your system now. <laughs> you have, when wasn't it their system? When there wasn't when, rabbit people. When you couldn't roleplay Lopunny. Cat people. When you couldn't play Lopunny. No! I hate no! Hey, Alec. Hey, Alec. Hey, you're Alec, going in the box. <laughs> Get in the robot, Shinji. Just saying. <clears throat> so, so, oh my God, they have, they have, they have, they have puns. Um, here and gone. They have hair trigger, uh, proficiency bonus to your initiative rolls. Hair as in H-A-R-E. Yeah. Uh, they have uh, leperine senses, uh, proficiency in their perception skill racially. Lucky footwork. Uh, when you fail a dexterity saving throw, you can use a reaction to roll a d4 and add it to the save, potentially turning the failure into a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't use this reaction if you're prone or your speed is zero, because there are a lot of uh, so some class features now in some of the and cl- some of the race and some of the classes that allow you to do things like double enhance your speed up to uh, you can do double your speed for a full turn as your. Uh, during your movement action, still make an action, but you have to move zero feet next turn in order to regain the ability. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Things with the College of Whispers with a shadow step ability. Um, they also have uh, Rabbit Hop as a bonus action. They can jump a number of feet, of feet equal to five times their proficiency bonus without provoking opportunity attacks. And you can use this trait only if your speed is greater than zero, and they can use it a number of times equal to proficiency bonus to regain all expended uses after a long rest. And Making them very rabbity. Yep, and so uh, for those of you who may be saying that a lot of races may lo- be losing their, who fear that some races may lose their uh, mechanical niches or their overall roles, no, uh, a Harangon pretty much demands you play a dexterity-heavy class. And as well as you can be medium or small, so you can play like a small little like fluffy bunny, or you play like a, a medium-sized like jackalope, like really har- harmful-looking like like. Those giant German rabbits, just yeah. like <laughs> I will eat you. Um, uh, after speaking of, that's um, a real hair your, scheme. You're going in the box next. You get to get you get to get chained up and watch the Last Jedi with Alec now. All right, guys. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, hobgoblin. <laughs> All right, guys. I guess the next episode is going to be only me recording because all three of these guys are going to be locked watching the Last Jedi. All right, so the hobgoblin. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there's too many goblins in this podcast itself. Part two of our finale D&D game is happening on the eight, on the on Saturday. I really hope nothing happens to your guys' characters. I'm gonna invite you guys hey. over for a vampire <coughs> game, and then in the background, just put on the Last Jedi. <laughs> God damn it! I will break the TV. So, Hobgoblin. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, Fey ancestry. Yeah, though this these have probably have the most over the probably the most. 
extrema lore change. Yeah, I was just reading through and I was like, I, I, so, I don't recognize a lot of this. So hobgoblins have gone from this uh, essentially a rate, uh, essentially gone from being Switzerland to being uh, Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if they're still if they still live in the Feywild, they're more Woodstock. But if they have had long if they have long cultural um, ties to realms, they're more Switzerland. Yeah. There's, they still have their militarism. They still have their. They, That's fair. Yeah. They're, they're, they 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 they're more of the the martial prowess of Fey folk. Sort kind of along the line. They're they're the they're the fighty Fey, whereas the Herengar are the dexterous Fey. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, they have some pretty interesting abilities. Looking at them, uh, they get the they get Fey gift. Um, they take they can take the help action as a bonus action. Because help is the help action is now being is now being more uh, codified in the rule set as something you can do. So you can someone can do a help action on an ability check mm. or on a uh, proficiency on a skill check. For help goblins, help also does things too. Yeah, there are a couple of things you'll see that it does. Yeah, yeah. because um, at third level you can take one of the three options. You can do hospitality, which um, helps gain a number of temporary hit points equal to one d six plus your proficiency bonus for a creature. Uh, for you and the creature you're helping. Um, passage, which will increase walking speeds by 10 feet, which can actually be really important in uh, turn-sensitive um, abilities. abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, spite, uh, until, the ne- until the start of your next turn, the first time the creature you help hits a target with an attack roll, target has disadvantage on the next attack roll it makes within the next minute. So within that same round. Mm-hmm. Which is just... Mm. Chef's kiss, beautiful. And fortune from the many. If you miss with an attack roll or fail an ability check or saving throw, you can draw your draw on your bonds of reciprocity to gain a bonus to the roll equal to the number of allies you can see within thirty feet of you. Maximum bonus of plus three. You can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So a party of hobgoblins is good. really powerful. Yeah, that's really that's pretty yeah. good. Um, I I really like hobgoblins as a concept. Mm-hmm. Even before this, but even now they're they're a lot more flavorful. Oh yeah. Um, I also really like the art in their page because they have a weaponized um, luthier uh, luthier produced string instrument because it has an axe blade on it. It's literally his axe. Yeah, talk, uh, now you can really shred. Did we do Arakoa? We did Arakoa. Er- Arakoa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we did. Speaking of bird brains, uh, we got Kenku. Yep. Kenku. <clears throat> so, so their lore changed a little bit, as well as being a little bit easier to manage. A little bit DM easier. And the player. Um, what were our old Kenku like? So, old Kenku. Old Kenku. That. That. Oh, that's they annoying. Can, they can annoying. Only, they can only, yeah, they can, stop. They can only repeat words that they hear. And, yeah. And, and they were described as they're not creative, they're not imaginative, they're just copycats. But D- Despite the fact that that makes no fucking sense. When in every other, and when every other description of the race in previous editions, because they were only like a creature, a creature monster they can interact with as an NPC or fight, mm-hmm. they're, they have mimicry, but they still have intelligence and intellect, like a raven. Because ravens aren't dumb. I was going to say, like, it's very strange to make a crow-raven race and be like, they have no creativity. And when, like, when in reality, like, man, ravens really? and crows have, can, uh, do to- you can, can use tools. Yeah. They're very, like, creative, intelligent so, animals. According to this, they can have their own voice and they can choose to, like, recreate, like, the sounds that they've heard. Yeah, yeah which makes them really good voices, as, which really sounds. makes them really good as spies. Because they can hear conversations and copy people's voices for mimicry. 
Mm. So they can they can be able they would be able to cast their voice out as someone else to convince to like sort of on a persuasion check to cause like a guard to move away from a position for them to go in, mm-hmm. as well as just like um, like maybe on a whim of like oh I'm gonna distract as like a Kenku bard using this bardic ability mm-hmm. uh, distract the bad guy from doing what he's doing so that it elicits an attack of opportunity for my ally to have them do a con saving throw for their concentration. <clears throat> and essentially, this is going to take like the good aspects of the Kenko ideas, the, their ideas of being masters of replication and imitation, while removing some of the stupidest, most... Yeah. Why was and, it and, even made and, ideas? And again, like with the Herringon, well, well, we'll eventually see with the Tabaxi, they, they can be medium or small, so they can be like... You can Halfling have, birds, or they could be human-sized birds. You can either, yeah, you can have essentially a gigantic condor-sized per- kenku. Yeah, or you can have like a small little um, cor- uh, uh, corvine-like halfling kenku that's just kind of like at your ankles, biting you, and then just runs away with your coin or your spellbook <laughs> or your life. All of the above. Um, I love this quote. Uh, from Mordenkainen, quote, I have long envied the agility of Kenku memory. My memory palace is splendid and vast, yet a Kenku's memory is a gleaming edifice that puts my palace to shame. So Kenku could be really good fucking wizards. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Kenku are an interesting race. Yep. I, I wish I wish they were more visible in uh, D&D in general, but it's really... Where do they come from? Like, what was the what source book introduced them? Oh, God. Um... Like, in general or in 5e? Both, I guess. Right, so in the first, uh, I, so Kenku first I appeared. Volo's Guide to Monsters in Five E, I think. Yep, and of course, in in D and D overall, they first appeared in the Fiend Folio, like so many other mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> is that three point five? No, A D and D. Oh, the original really? Fiend they're Folio. that old, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. and in Five E, like I said, they, yeah, Volo's. They 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 go very They've been far. around for a long time. I, they feel like a newer race. <coughs> the, the, the thing is, is that Kenku I would place as an outer realm race. You would most likely see you'd see a lot of Kenku in certain places like Sigil. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Also, I'm not saying that Kenku themselves were a mistake. I'm saying a Putting lot in, of a lot of the, the fiend, a lot of the fiend folio book <laughs> items were just mistakes. It's literally them taking like all the shit we just finished and we don't have publication time for this. Just throw it in the fiend folio. Or yeah, like so. Or let's just. Fill out this book with some random garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, were the, the Kenku only being able to mimic people was a five E thing. So they were always able to do mimicry, but in five E and Vol- Vol's Guide they to Monsters, they were only ever able to. Do they were only ever able to mimic other people's words or voices. They could not create original thought or words. That feels like a huge blunder. It was, which is why they corrected it here. Like, I, I can't. I don't have to see this update to be like, that's not good. Even <laughs> even Matthew Mercer, with the character that he introduced in Campaign 2 of Critical Role, he followed those rules, and but it was because it was a Kenku child. Oh, I see. So it was more like a young Kenku or more like this if they're not raised by other Kenku. Did an adult Kenku show up and start speaking regularly? As far as I know, no, but Brie would be better knowledge of that because she's farther ahead on Campaign 2 than I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, looking, Kiri was the name of that kinku. And yeah, quickly looking over, he's, yeah, that was a five E invention for some bizarre reason. Yeah, that's probably really probably something that Jeremy Crawford didn't really like. Probably softly greenlit. Hey, you can bring back kinku, but then they wrote the race wrong. Yeah, it's just really weird because, like, in a D and D game, actually, who wrote communication? Mo- so key. Volo's Guide to Monsters. 
Let me check you can, cha- you can check. It's such a limiting roleplay thing. <coughs> it's just I mean, to be annoying. Fair, to be literally f- the only reason I didn't want to play a Kenku. Look, to be f- yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I think the issue is that just a lot of the player options for in Volos were poorly thought out. Which is why they're being corrected here. Most of the races that were introduced were, came from Volos are now corrected here. I mean, this Kenku looks awesome. I, I kind of want to play a Kenku. A party of all Kenku would be hilarious. I think a Kenku Warlock would be fun. Kenku Warlock would be great. Or, mm. or Kenku Cleric of the Raven Queen. Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> I love that. That's or, very... Um, even using some of like my third-party options, because I own stuff from Cobalt Press, uh, the Deep Magic book has a lot of shadow magic and other I love different spells and subclasses you can play as. There's a lot rad. of really cool shadow shit that would be really thematically good and work well with the mimicry ability of the Kenku. I wish more <clears throat> this is completely off topic, but I wish more uh, RPG video games had shadow magic stuff, because I think shadow magic is just so cool. I mean, I, th- I think so, to get a little bit distracted uh, and go into this <laughs> tangent, um, I think the problem with adding in shadow magic to a lot of games is that it's it's sort of like using the word fell. Oh yeah. Because Blizzard um, trademarked fell magic and fell as a word to describe their dark magic. Yep. So it's like you have dark magic abilities, but it's like shadow magic is like one of those things where like a lawyer could go, oh, well, you, you would say that shadow is fell, correct? Well, I guess in a technical sense, well, then Blizzard owns it. <laughs> like That's, It's funny you say that because in WoW, currently right now, one of the lore sticking points is the difference between shadow magic, void magic, and fell magic. When it should yep. all just be the same. It's just different... Well, it used, to, it used to be, but then as time has gone on, they've become, like, delineated and different. And Because players shouldn't be allowed to use Fel Magic, but they should be allowed to use Void and Shadow Magic. Yeah. When in reality, you should just allow your players to use Fel Magic. They have now. You can play a Demon Hunter, and Warlocks could always use a Fel Magic. You can even get great Green Fire now, but it was just them, and notice that the Warlock and the Demon Hunter, they're, they're evil, essentially. Yeah. And then they turn good. They do evil magic for good reasons but yeah they're like the gray necromancer but yeah it's funny because fell in wow is light and shadows or void depending on who you ask yeah together it's so. it fell is fell is more of a general term for a concept as opposed to a classification yeah exactly it's just chaos it's a fancy word for chaotic or evil or also, dark also can we just say fuck blizzard yeah fuck blizzard sorry not fuck activision blizzard yeah okay i can agree with that and, yes yeah it's still, a distinction. Still, still fuck Blizzard. They're, they still had problems even before the Activision fuck joined. Bobby Kotick. Yes, Bobby Kotick. Bobby Kotick. I hope within the next five or so years, I don't really have anything looking forward to the next WoW expansion that much, but I think within the next five, maybe ten years, WoW will see an upturn and being good again, but mm. we'll find out. I've been saying that for <laughs> like 15 years now. Microsoft finally like, takes over. Exactly, yeah. I mean, co- I mean, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 has a bunch of people that quit COD because of Vanguard coming back because it's bringing back Ghost. Mm. Really? And so, how? Because Modern, War- because Modern Warfare is essentially a reboot of the Modern Warfare series, and Modern Warfare 2 uh, is um, Price, Ghost, and Soap before the event, uh, sort of like before and in between the events of the original Modern Warfare kind of deal. It's a new storyline, bring back the uh, bring back those characters, making them hate, more modern. I don't hate that. That's fine, I guess. I don't. I, I could care less, but like Modern Warfare was my Call of Duty game. But that's uh, not what this podcast is about. As long as they're not like strictly rebooting them or bringing them yeah. back from the dead. It's 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 a, it's 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 more of it's a reboot slash remaster. It's making this yeah, story make sense. It's fine because I feel like there's a whole there's a whole podcast we could do as a 
um, commentary on a video that talks about the problematic production of Call of Duty for Modern Warfare. That's interesting. So okay, yeah, Kobolds. Yeah, let's go. Kobolds, our, our little dragon dog boys, are actually uh, descendants of, Draco- of draconic beings now, as opposed to yip 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 dog yip lizards. Um, <clears throat> this is very Pathfinder. Yes. Exactly. Because. Yeah. Mm. Pathfinder 2E sucks. <laughs> That's what a lot of it. You yeah. are wrong. Kobolds well, aren't furry anymore. <laughs> uh, from what I understand, <laughs> like unless they unless they wear furs, like in uh, Rime of the uh, Rime of the you, you would know. Uh, is yes. is the 1E supplements for Pathfinder compatible with 2E Pathfinder? So no. <laughs> then I, I don't know if I can. I don't know how much of a fan of that I am. To be fair, but, you're asking me as a uh, let's see, is a almost t- a over ten year old. Um, designed compatible with something that was like almost an like entire overhaul. I don't know. It, see, the thing, like, one of the things I like about this that we're doing right now is 5e seems to be here for the long haul. Yeah. You know, and I think Pathfinder going to 2e might have been putting the cart before the horse. Like, what you had worked. You could have just did the Pathfinder. Point five. Well, and the I problem, think people would have been okay with the that. The problem is, like, what do you exactly do you do to change it that would still be compatible with the old materials while still being enough of a change to be, you know? I think you just do like a Tasha's or a Xanathar's. You just kind of come out with a patch notes book. But at that point, it had already been refined and there had already been enough patch notebooks that there really wouldn't be enough room to really change much without having well, to then change that, good. Wipe your hands and just make more content. Then at that point, you do, path, then that, at that they, point you do Dungeons and Dragons 3.85 and you. Add in all the errata and the patch notes into a new edition with new player's handbook with all the expanded content and classes, mm-hmm. new monster manual with all the new notes, True. plus the dungeon master. I don't know. Class. I haven't played 2E, yeah. so having, I can't tell you, but... Having, we should totally sit down and play 2E. Having, <laughs> I need to play having more Pathfinder. Of, having uh, GM'd Pathfinder 2nd Edition... It's just a whole hell of a lot easier to run. It's very streamlined, very smooth. Because one of the problems that... like. Reese being the one who's run 3.5 through us the most, mm-hmm. major problems with 3.5 is running the combat. Roleplay is pretty clunky because of checks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everything is broken down literally, alphabetically, within your skills. Yeah. And with this, it's more like you have your different power... You have essentially... It uses a hybridized version of Pathfinder and 4E systems, effectively, is the best way to put the image in your mind. So you have a lot of feats. Each feat has have different abilities. I don't know, maybe it's just like FOMO that's happening to me. Because I didn't get to play Pathfinder, really. Yeah. I only got to play the game. Yeah. So I will say this. Having seen actually... 2E coming out, it's kind of like, ah, oh, maybe I missed the boat. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I will say that, I mean, I like I said, Pathfinder I've... is just like 3.5. It's 3.5, but, but better. You know? Yeah. And I will say this, um, relevant to the topic, I really do like Pathfinder's a, a, uh, approach to how races work in that game. Because essentially you have your, your... You pick your race. You get... Two fixed ability scores increases. You got a free ability score increase, and then if you took the free that, you also take a quick uh, a, a minus ability score minus. Then on top okay. of that, then on top of that, however, you also gain bonuses to the primary attributes of your class. Yeah. So like, if you're playing wizard, congratulations, free intelligence. Yeah, it, it makes it makes the issues in three point five where wizards are really hard to get survivably up to high levels for their capstone abilities mm-hmm. and their epic and their prestige classes and epic campaigns because of how squishy are, squishy they are and how how few and far in between ability score increases are every three levels. I have a ton of 1E Pathfinder books. I got to know Humble Bundle. So do I. Same. 
Cool. We, we should, could we could play. we could all just like, write a campaign like, setting and exchange DM. Yeah. I mean, we already I already have my my campaign setting in my head. Yeah. Down. Sure. So, right. uh, Pathfinder aside, uh, going into Kobolds, they still have Dark Vision. Uh, the Draconic Cry. Um, well, you cry at your enemies within ten feet of you until the start of your next turn. You and your allies have advantage on attack rolls against any of those enemies who could hear you. Uh, you can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Ooh. Kobold Legacy. Um, this is the, cool. Their connection to dragons can manifest in unpredictable ways in an individual kobold. Choose one of the following legacy options for your kobold. Kobold. Uh, craftiness. Um, proficiency in any of the fo- in any of the following skills. Arcana investigation, medicine, sleight of hand, or survival. Defiance. You have adventures on saving throws to avoid or end the frightened condition on your yourself. Draconic sorcery. Uh, you can know, you know one cantrip of your choice from the sorcerer spell list. Intelligence, wisdom, or charisma uh, is your uh, ability. Not, so, so not broken, but fun. Like, yeah, fun like, and like, interesting. Definitely removes a lot of the. Uh, it makes trick. a co- it makes a kobold sorcerer of draconic ancestry really really interesting at first level. Yeah, you get a bonus cantrip. Kind of cool. I like that. Plus, okay. plus you have the, plus there are there is the ability. I think in racial feats you can get wings. That's cool. Because there are yes. co- there are kobolds with draconic wings as well as kobolds with their glider wings, like the one that um. Uh, that uh, Kaltari in my campaign firebolted, and then those wings oh, yeah. fell into the oh, yeah. into the and dry you grass saved field. Us, actually, that was how you saved us. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. um, you weren't Wish there. I was there. Yeah. yeah, you weren't there, but I was like Zinqui would just be so annoyed and just use um, uh, cre- uh, um, control control flame and just don't, stuff don't out feel the, bad. Stuff when, out the grass. When I'm not piloting Zev, he's a killing badass. <laughs> I roll more crits with yeah. Zev gangering him than Alex. Zev does. <laughs> I say here, it's Zev, like, Zev oh just kind of cowers in the corner, can't get a hit. Like, oh my god, why am I missing with my crossbow? I'm an, yeah. I'm an elf. Yeah. And then there's me like Zev, Zev with invi- using the invisibility spell that he has on him has stealth all the way here and he was only yeah. heard here whereas if Alec rolled it he'd be up here and yep, falling I off the fail. cliff I, I, as a rogue I would fail my stealth check to kill it there's like the Alec timeline and then there's the me timeline <laughs> it's really fucking hilarious to look at okay uh, oh, this is my favorite one the, this one? Lizard folk. Lizard folk. Oh my god. Alright, so let's eat the party members. I have a little bit of I have a little bit of a ta- I have a little bit of a divergence here. Um, Alright. So Brown and I went to Florida for April vacation. Oh, the home of the lizard folk. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's where they come from. The home of the yep. lizard folk. Yep. And we took a plane. First time I've been in a plane in like 20 years. Wow. Fun. Right? And we were flying over uh, Lake Mary, which is a rel- uh, re- like a relatively upper class section of um, the early, uh, the um, like within the outer, what what would be for Boston the outer boroughs, uh, for Orlando was like the outer, like the satellite cities around Orlando. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and we're flying over Lake Mary. There's several lakes, including Lake Mary, and a lot of them are like man-made because of uh, sort of taming the swamps and uh, swamps and Everglades. And I just kind of jokingly out the window poked uh, poked at one of the lakes and went, "That's that's where the King of Florida lives." That's like, who's, the of, who's the King of Florida? I'm like, "Shump the alligator." And, and now I imagine this alligator like lizard folk barbarian named Shump. And the only reason why his name is Shump is that's the noise he makes when he comes out of the mud. Just shump. So when is Shump going to show up in the next campaign? Is he your or, next or character? Or if I play him. Yeah, um, you should make so Shump a PC. <laughs> that's a great the, idea. The cool, so the cool thing about lizard folk, um, just lore-wise, is that they don't talk normally. They can speak common or lizard folk, 
but they basically think in lizard folk and translate into common what what those words mean so what are people food um what's a small animal food what's a large animal food. a hunt what's mm-hmm. a monster a challenge okay um so like what's an example of a sentence um uh, what does what does food want for dinner what does what does food want with uh, want with the tribe okay what does food want to do for the tribe why do, what would food want to do to not be eaten by the tribe okay <laughs> like that's okay. that kind of deal because they think within terms of their survival in very direct literalisms okay. so people are food so therefore you're food you're not friends if you are if you're an ally with a lizard folk it's like friends that is food okay. like if you die a lizard folk's gonna eat you because like it would be a waste to not. Mm. They're the most. They're the most direct race to like interact with. They're also the least. They're also the most under-supported race in fifth edition, I think, and in a lot of games, because of a lack of variety mm. in like giving them like specific like subrace categories. Like, you could have like a lizard folk that's more like a gecko, so they're more small. Yeah. But I'd love to have a medium to medium and large size because I could imagine Shump being a large. Mm-hmm. Alligator, Saurian, like barbarian. <laughs> this sounds really cool. But um, the reason why I would play Shump as a barbarian, because um, they have a bite ability. If they can hold breath for up to fifteen minutes, they have hungry jaws, so they have a bite attack. But they have natural armor. Yeah. They're they're when they are when they aren't wearing any armor, their AC is thirteen plus their dexterity modifier. Wow. So I would build Shump as a high-strength, high-dex barbarian. So you think this giant alligator is just going to like come lumbering slow at you with a fucking uh, Makuidal uh, Aztec club? Of, like blades made of jade and onyx, right. but instead he's just gonna—he's just gonna close the distance. He's gonna close just, the like, distance, slap. slap you down, and then roll <laughs> you into the pond and drown you. And for a quick clarification, the uh, hungry jaws gives you temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. Yes, which is pretty cool, and you can do that as a special bonus action. So it's like you, for flavor text, you kill something with a bite attack. You use your hungry jaws ability while you're flailing the kobold into your throat, <laughs> like. It's like, what happened to the plot to the plot relevant villain that we had to beat? Oh, oh uh, he was delicious. Sorry. I ate the food. Yeah. I thought it was a snack. One second. Lizard folk. I don't think they apologize. It's like, eat food. Yeah. But if, if, if depending on how long they've been away from the tribe, that's fair. they can pick up things. They don't restrict them to the to the uh, literalisms, but it's a matter of how you play it. I play Shump very. I play Shump very com- uh, comic relief. Then there's me who would play him like a stone cold sociopath. <laughs> to let the food rot on the ground right there. Yeah. No, it's like are you gonna, it'd be like, are you gonna eat that? <laughs> <laughs> that um, that is a halfling orphan shump. As it, so it, as you look back, he's already have a halfling. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's like like in a in a giant leaf, like a wrap. Yeah. Like it'd be, it'd be like that it's scene. Like the King Shark. Yeah, it's like yes. that scene from the Suicide Squad with King Shark. <laughs> Um, they also get nature's intuition. They get uh, proficiencies in two skills, either animal handling, medicine, nature, perception, stealth, or survival. So depending on your flavor of lizard folk. Um, I, I just like the concept of lizard folk. They, they're only medium-sized creatures, but I wish they had more variety. Um, yeah, imagine just uh, playing a little geckling. That'd be cool. Um, right, Minotaurs. Take, take it away, CJ. Oh, God, yes. Uh, they actually talk about... All right. 
This is a really cool quote. Minotaurs are barrel-chested humanoids with heads resembling those of bulls. Blessed with supernaturally strong sense of direction, Minotaurs make great navigators. Some sages believe Minotaurs were first created by the Lady of Pain to patrol the magical mazes that she uses to trap her foes. What? Neat. That's a big fucking change because in a lot of monster lore, Minotaurs were were a racial creation bastardizing humanity by Bahamut. Not Bahamut. um, The Demogorgon. Not the Demogorgon. Um, Baphomet. True. Because Baphomet is a giant demonic minotaur. Yep. So, in, for example, in Faerun, for um, uh, Nathan's game, I was like, mm. I want to play a minotaur. There are race minotaur. There's the, the minotaur race in Faerun, but they're tribal. Mm-hmm. Because tribes of minotaurs are controlled and ruled by the monster minotaurs who eat people to gain their demonic gifts from Baphomet. Right. But there are minotaurs that refuse to... Uh, Go into their demonic heritage and will eat other things, but not human. So this this change just says they're not demonic. Um, it's basically giving you this. Basically, this is our only teaser that Planescape is coming. Yeah, I want directly, so bad. It directly <laughs> talks about the Lady of Pain because it makes sense. Because one of her abilities is if you piss her off, she will just send you to a magical maze. And if there's a really powerful Minotaur in there, or like a bunch of Minotaurs in there, yeah. they're gonna kill you if you don't. <laughs> that also connects back to the Greek myths and whatever. Yeah, so that's fun. Yeah, and the one thing we should also note is that, <coughs> is that the Minotaurs also had a very different heritage in 3.5. Yes. Where they were ha- the half-giant spawn of the king, of the <coughs> first king of the Frost Giants who slept with a hill giant, and then when he found, who had glamoured herself up to look like an ice giant. And then when it, what happened, when he, when he found out who she really was and who, and that those two strapping ice giants were actually half-giant mongrels, as he put it. He cursed his... He, he effectively gave up on love and trusting on and all and trusting anything beautiful. Oof. And cursed her her and her descendants to become the first minotaurs. And, oh, sorry, her children. And she would eventually be a, just cursed to live on the... On, as a vestige. Because binders... Because binders give you some really goddamn cool lore for D&D. Yeah. Um... So the cool thing with Minotaurs is that not a lot changed. Um, they have horns that they can use as, to make unarmed strikes based with piercing damage and strength modifier on top of their uh, D6 of damage. They have a goring rush, so after you dash and you move at least 20 feet, you can make one attack with your horns as a bonus action. So you, even if you um, uh, use a dash action, you can still use your bonus action if you're within... Uh, five feet of an enemy after your twenty feet of after twenty feet of movement, you can do a melee attack with your horns. You get hammering horns, um, which kind of goes in with the goring rush. After you hit a creature with a melee attack as part of an attack action, so it, not a bonus action if, with a normal attack, um, you can use your bonus action to push that creature with your horns. Um, they must be within five feet and no uh, no more than one size larger than you. So a Minotaur Rune Knight would be pretty interesting. Because, like, you could push, like, a Goristro aside, which is, like, you could a Minotaur a, Demon. You could, you could at high levels, just shove a bully and shove a Tarrasque around. Yeah. And, um... If it somehow doesn't make the save. That's a 680 on a strength saving throw DC equal to 8 plus the proficiency bonus plus your strength modifier. And you can push it up to 10 feet away from you. And then tying back to their Greek myth... As well as the origin that they suggest here with the Lady of Pain, um, you know what route Labyrinthine Recall. You always know which direction is north, and you have advantage on any Wisdom survival checks you make to navigate or track. 
So Minotaur Rangers would be really good at following things. Yeah. So hear me out. So hear me out, CJ. I'm now going to be playing a Minotaur Ranger. If Tormod dies. Okay. Epic last stands are, are epic for a reason. All right. Now we get to the orcs. Ah, uh, yes. Some of the biggest changes I think that have happened to them. Um, they still are created by Grimsh One Eye. Um, they a lot of their racial traits are a reflection of his toughness. Um, Though this, oh, that's interesting. So they they seem to have borrowed a, oh yeah, Eberron orcs, the best orcs in D and D lore. Yeah, the, the, among the first defenders of the natural order from the encroachments of fiends and other extraplanar threats. The first wall against the terror. Um, and then Grimsh's blessings have made orcs tireless guardians and mighty allies wherever they are found, even when they turn their devotion to other gods. So Grimsh has a fair play clause now. <laughs> um, so they have adrenaline, so you can take a dash action as a bonus action. So that gives you temp hit points. That gives you ten hit temporary hit points. points. Yep, equal to your huh. proficiency bonus. So, uh, yeah, that's terrible, <laughs> So imagine a berserker barbarian orc. Bonus action. Dash. <laughs> goodbye to that Goodbye to that dragon you just placed on the Wait, field. hear like, me out. Like... Bear totem orc barbarian. Yeah, even better. Just dash. Boom! You can't hurt me now! Um, they also get dark vision. Like they did before. Uh, they get powerful build. As they did before. As they did before. Uh, Relentless Endurance. When you reduce to zero hit points but not killed outright, you can drop to one hit point instead. Once this trait is used, you can't do it again until a long rest. So kind of cool. It's, it's simple but strong, which I think fits right it's, in with they're, the they're, yeah, they're they're resilient, determined, and stubborn like Grimsh one. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I like, I like that they're a little bit more lore flavor text. Straightforward. Yeah. They, they, yeah. Still, yeah, they still maintain the, the core that they are aggressive, that they are tough, and they are stubborn. Without going into turning them into literal gorilla people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although playing a gorilla person would be hilarious. That would be amazing. So hear me out. Planet of the Apes. Yes. What? Apes together strong. All right. Those are good movies. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. Especially the two made by uh, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Mm -hmm. All right. The Seder. Uh, introduced in uh, Mythic, Odys uh, Mythic Theros? Odyssey of Theros. Oh. Also, yeah. Uh, they are also from the Feywild. <laughs> um, they're Fey, medium size. They have a speed of 35 feet, likely because of their cloven hooves, more access through. Mm. And because territory. their legs probably too powerful hindquarters. So, was this the first time we're getting vanilla, like, neutral lore for satyrs? Because on Theros, yeah. it, it, it's completely different. Yeah, they're more they're more like Greek myth satyrs. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's a magic set. So. Yeah. So like for the, the Feywild satyrs, this is their this is their codification. Okay. Because this the lore is assumed for satyrs because like you can meet NPC satyrs in the Feywild, but you can't play them as a race before Theros. Okay. But Theros gave you the Theros um, satyrs. Satyrs are really important in Theros. So yeah. There was one that was like a bad guy for the first set. So yeah. Um, because they ha they were either party folk druid mages or they were like devout. Like clean, like clean cut warriors, and they're terrifying. Yep. Um, but here, it's more. They're more like little. They're more like Pan the God. They're more mm. like trickstery. They're more like <laughs> I'm gonna play little pranks. Mm. Um, so they're more like Hermes then, kind of. Yeah. Well, her 
uh, Hermes Pan. Uh, Pan wasn't all that mischievous. Well, Pan is, was more mysterious because a lot of his chthonic uh, lore and myths were lost in translation. So, like, there was a Roman, there was a Roman emperor who went past the who was who uh, went past the island of Lesbos, or was it an emperor? No, it was one. It was an uh, ambassador from the emperor. Yes. And they're passing a, a shrine to Pan on the island of Lesbos, and they only loosely heard of, along the wind, the god Pan is dead. And the, the Romans thought, oh, the god Pan is dead. So now Hermes takes the domain of Pan. Because huh. Hermes now, is the closest. That's true. Though, of course, uh, the whole... That is discourse, where the name comes from. Of course, the whole uh, <laughs> really? yeah. issue with People that is that Lesbos are called most Lesbos. likely a complete... He misheard it, misheard it in its entirety. It'd yeah. Pretty cool. The god Pan is dead along with Pan, because Pan is the god of travelers. And, like, and you know, probably has to cross over sticks with people that get lost more often than not. So... They have a movement speed of 35 feet. They have a ram attack for bludgeoning damage using their uh, ram horns. They have magic resistance, which is really important. Um, they also have mirthful leaps. Whenever you make a long jump or high jump, you can roll a d8 and add the number rolled to the number of feet you can cover, uh, even when making a standing jump. The extra this extra costs movement as normal. Uh, Reveler, as an embodiment of revelry, you have proficiency in performance and persuasion skills, and you have proficiency with one musical instrument of your choice. So, save your bards, everybody. Yep. Dangerous. Yeah. Oh, oh, God, wait. Did you see the next one? No, no. I was looking at Mirthful Leaps, and I was thinking... Chronicles of Narnia? No. Where they're jumping across the tile roofs during give, the castle? Give me out here. Give them, give them a spear. Have them start jumping around. They're freaking dragoons. <laughs> imagine um, imagine um, giant ram... A satyr cavalry, and then just like doing like um, sort of how uh, it was described for a lot of um, Turkish riders, where they would jump from horse to horse in during combat. So you just have like satyr archers and satyr spearmen and lanciers just killing people during a charge, or they just jump onto monstrous creatures and like climb them and try to kill them, like his dragon's dogma. Yeah. All right. Next race, another sub race of elves, the sea elves, also known as not tritons. Not tritons. This guy looks like he really likes his sea grass. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he looks like he's about to go to Santa Monica Pier. So yeah, so um, essentially these are just elves that, that have a they're Atlanteans. Child yeah. of the sea, you can breathe air and water, and you have resistance to cold damage. I was just thinking how Aquaman this race is. Yeah, they have fey ancestry, much like the other elvish uh, other elven races after the Eladrin. Well, yep, they have of course your usual uh, lesser dark vision. Yep, they have Friend of the Sea. Um, they have, uh, the Quark Animals have an extraordinary affinity with your people. You can communicate simple ideas to any beast uh, that has a swimming speed. It can understand your words, though you have no sp special ability to understand it in return. So, very Aquaman. They also have keen senses mm -hmm. uh, with a proficiency in perception. They also have a trance ability. As um, usual. As usual. And it's uh, two proficiencies that you don't have. Uh, so it's the same thing as um, uh, the other trance. That is that that isn't tied to the like the gift or the eladrin, and they have a big thing beneath about the elves of many realms and sort of like um, Corellan and the other elven gods from the classic um, settings of like Oerth, Faerun, um, uh, Dragonlance, and sort of like. Talking about how like when the elves left the Feywild, they bonded with the they bonded with the realms and the nature around them. We got like wood elves, um, 
High Elves, Drow, Shatter Kai, Eladrin, or Sea Elves. Mm. So, like, Eladrin seem to be just elves of the Feywild. So, like, they're the original elf race, but just stay in the Feywild. But so now they're now more tuned to the realms and the seasons. Whereas, like, everyone else is, like, less powerful as a result of being in the mortal planes. It'd be re- this also gives people a, a reason to do, like, aquatic... Campaigns? Like, sub-aquatic campaigns now. It's because, like, there's more aquatic races to play. Yep, there's now three! Ah, ah, three ah. whole races, everybody. Your choices are expanding. I mean, technically, well... <laughs> Your choices have increased by, by 150%. Yeah. Uh, going from there... Ah, yes. The, the Shatter Kai. The actual edgy elves. <clears throat> what, were, what would now be considered uh, the drow... Or like the dark elves, because they literally live in the shadow fell. Yep. <laughs> shadow elves. They are, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Shadar is shadow, and then Kai is elf in their yeah. language. There you go. So is Shadar Almora just darkness? No, it's a different thing. I know. Um, but uh, they get all the elf stuff plus blessing of the uh, Raven very Queen. specifically. They um, yeah. oh. they were drawn to the realm by the Raven Queen, so mm-hmm. they serve her. Speaking of the Raven Queen, you can teleport like yeah. you're an Eladrin. Yep. And you gain resistance to all damage when you teleport during this trait until the start of your next turn. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, what? Wow. It's like it's like fa- it's like it's like phase step. How many times do you misty use step. This? E- equal to your proficiency bonus. Shatter Kai are pretty fucking powerful in the shadow department. And you resist necrotic damage just as a because of uh, Because the Raven Queen does, despises undead because she's literally the ferryman of the dead. So th- this is definitely one of those ra- those races that, where people are saying, bring it, bring back the Shadow Kai. They were really cool. and Yeah, they were cool. Here's here's the stats too where you can fight them in the Shadowfell, the evil Shadow Kai. But here are the Shadow Kai that serve the Raven Queen now. Here's the ones you can play and be awesome with. Yeah. So shall we make you uh, Zev a Shadow Kai now? Kind of thinking about it. <laughs> just just, just Sevan does the glamour. Yeah. Also, can I say I love the elf of the the Shadow Kai that they have on here? Oh yeah. Because they they're wielding a Dacian Falks, and I'm like, honestly, that's the like they don't have that as a weapon option separate, but like two handed weapon. If my weapon looks like a Falks. You're automatically getting like all the magic items from me because <laughs> that the Falks does not get enough love as a weapon overall right. in any game or like setting. Um, but yeah, I love the Shadow Kai as another elf option. Granted, it's kind of entering the problem with like that a lot of games have is like there's elf bloat. But honestly, I don't care because of things like fizzbands. Now this, we're gonna get spelljammer. We're gonna get a lot of expansion on races and options. As long as they're unique enough, I'm okay with it. Because uh, to uh, another thing, WoW did recently was introduced a crap ton more elves. And a lot of them are not very unique. Great. <laughs> yeah. Like, the Horde just got Night Elves again. You know, mm-hmm. so things like that. It's just... What? Yeah, they're called Nightborn. They're just mm-hmm. classic Dark Elves. They're Dark Elf with Dark Elf lore. Huh. It's why. You already had that, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, you already, ha- you already had in the Warcraft games the... The, the high elves that became blood elves, they betrayed the alliance and that's went a, to the that's horde. Literally, that the nightborn and then are. The, and then the night elves literally went and the nightborn are just high elves, except they are they have dark skin. 
Yeah. It's, it's really weird and a strange choice we could, to make. We could talk about WoW in a separate podcast and how dumb and bloated the lore is. And I think Shadow Elves can get close to kind of taking the role of Drow, but they're unique enough. Out of all the games that need to get Final Fantasy to MMO'd, World of Warcraft needs to get Final Fantasy MMO'd with the Alright, so. Speaking of evil. I don't know. I'm talking about shifters. Shifters are evil. They're cool. <laughs> They're spooky. These are really weird. I I never really heard of them before. Yeah, have and I remember reading about them somewhere and remember thinking that the same thing. Like that's kind of weird that they just kind of gave um, a rare race instead of having it be like a uh, something that well, I get any be- character can can. Well, I get it because get it's, you know it's like, have your... they're like the Bjorn names from the Legendarium. Yeah, but I guess the best way to I think explain why they were made is because you know werewolves are evil. I want to play a good guy werewolf. Yep. Shifters were created I mean, for Eberron. I mean, technically, our our boy Elric is a werewolf right now. Oh, yeah, yeah you oh, are! Yeah, right. totally a werewolf! <laughs> I forgot about but, that. But like, the shifters are more like, uh, these are people who are descendants <laughs> okay, of... Okay, I'm Eric dead, Tommy. so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, because that's where you get Bayor from The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. He's a he's he's a bear... He's a basically a werebear. Um, and... So kind of continuing into their how they usually work, shifters are of course the king of uh, of um, op of uh, so nice little options. So usually, you know, of course, you get usually you get of course dark vision. You get you know pick pick one of the following skills that you're proficient in it now: acrobatics, athletics, intimidation, or survival. Let's see, and then you can shift. You can transform. You gain temporary hit points equal to double your uh, proficiency bonus for one minute. You also gain uh, one of the following abilities. You get be- the first one is Beast Hide, which gives you even more temporary hit points equal to one d six, alongside a plus one bonus to your armor class. You know, a very strong, very survival tanking oriented version of the of the, of um of the shifters. Or you can pick Long Tooth. Where you get uh, some some a free bite attack equal to one d six plus your strength modifier for damage, with that in, and it inflicts piercing damage unlike bludgeoning damage. So you know just some free little attacking options though it's not exactly the best unless you're like a monk, a low level monk. Honestly, these would be pretty good druids. Oh yeah, and then oh yeah. Be very druid. And then the, your last option is swift stride. You know while shifted, your walking speed increases by ten feet. Additionally, you can move up to 10 feet as a reaction when a creature ends its turn within 5 feet of you. This reactive movement doesn't provoke opportunity attacks. That's uh, cool. Did you already say Wild Hunt? Uh, and I was getting to that one. Okay, that's the last one. Yep, wild, and then the final kind is Wild Hunts. While shifted, you have an advantage on wisdom checks, and no creature within 30 feet of you can make an attack roll with advantage against you unless you're incapacitated. So these guys kind of, you know, whether you want to be a tank, a... A multi area, a multi different wide area of attack attacker, or if you just want to run around the battlefield, or just be a bit of a controller of how things go. I feel like I think these guys were introduced in Van Richten's. Isn't shifters really worth it? Everon, Everon, yeah, I mean, that would be a good fit for that, wouldn't it? Oh, honestly, a, po- a small population of shifters in uh, the Dread Realms makes sense, especially in Barovia because mm-hmm. of the werewolves and shit. Um, I was actually reading uh, Curse of Strahd the other night. Yeah, I have, I have the old printed version of Curse of Strahd. They updated it recently, so they oh. fixed a lot of shit. Um, as I learned from XP to level 3, uh, they did a new, another... Uh, they rated every single 5e adventure that's been released in order of release. 
That's cool. Which is where a lot of my corrections came from in regards to the adventures. Because XP Level V is a great channel. Look them up on YouTube. They're perfect. So, yeah, Shifters are part of the Holy Trilogy of the Four Eberron races. Alongside the other two popular ones, Changeling and Warforge. And Kalishtar, which no one no one likes. What the Kalishtar weird. The Kalishtar, they're the um. Oh boy. I don't even know what do they look like. Okay. Or uh, let's <laughs> just that reaction. Okay. Uh, they look like. So they're, they're, they look they're, like they're psionics. They, they look like they belong in Mass Effect. They're they're kind of like they're kind of like an alien race in Eberron. Okay. Yeah. They're 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 like psychic born. They're weird. Okay. Yeah, they're from the plane of Dal Kuwar. The Plane of Dreams. Dream, where have you been? You've been gone for centuries. Uh, simple, I was over at Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, so, uh, after Shifters, we have Tabaxi. Um, Hi, Tabaxi. Kajit has wares if you have coins. So the cool thing is that they're kind, of, they're kind of more... Um, they're more flavorful now because of things like um, Monster Hunter. You can play a small Tabaxi. So you're about the size of the the monster hunter cats. Oh no, that's great. Um, but can... uh, they also have a climb speed um, equal to the walking speed. Uh, they have cats talent, so proficiency in perception and stealth skills. Um, they they put a lot of onus in their lore for curiosity and wanting to learn new things. So like literally, they're curious cats, and that's like codified in their abilities. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Um, they also have feline agility, which is which is which is where. Um, some of the movement stuff comes in with some abilities because uh, they yeah. are able to do um, double their speed until the end of their turn uh, with this and they have to take a break with not moving for one turn in order to get it back so they're very they get the zoomies in battle <laughs> <laughs> which is great yeah and, this, uh, yeah and it seems like a, once again they're going to be a, one of those ones where they, where they definitely play off well with the uh off of a rogue class because just you, you could, it's going to be very good for position, <coughs> very good for movement, or or even with something like a bard because of their natural curiosity. It's like oh, legend lore, let's go. Uh, Tortles, my favorite, my fa- one of my favorite additional races that's been created in like uh, Tortles. Yeah, uh, Tortles. They're okay. I like, I like turtles because turtles are now no longer like, oh, they have to be nice or they're ninja turtles. No, you can have evil turtles. You can have turtle necromancers that will literally kill you and turn you into an undead. Or you can have your deranged eco-terrorist turtle. <laughs> the true druid! <laughs> That's amazing. Um, true I want a turtle that his whole goal is to just Fill the ocean with straws. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He wants, he wants, oh to, he wants to kill everyone on no. land with straws. <laughs> no! The chaotic evil turtle has been made. Straw. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's see. So let's. All right. So let's see how. All right. So turtles also seemingly don't don't seem to be uh, all that changed much as well. You know. They were pretty good to begin with. They just give a little bit more flavor. Oh yeah. Um, um, I mean, a little. They get nature's intuition, cool. which is like the, sort of like much like the fear yeah. bowl. They get some natural affinity for trauma. Uh, yeah, and they can have up to twenty-one AC, Nathan. Wait, what shell defense? What? So yeah, shell defense. You can withdraw into your shell for a plus four bonus to your AC, and have advantage on strength and constitution saving throws. But you're a pro doing this. Yes. Yeah. 
This yeah. also doesn't. This also doesn't uh, take into account uh, enchanted items like a ring of protection mm-hmm. or like a, like an animated shield. Yeah, but this is once again, turtles are going to be that great race for if you're playing a survival campaign. You can't get a hold of good armor. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh hey, I just have 17 AC. Allow me to take the front. I mean, imagine imagine a a swamp bound campaign with lizard folk, turtle, grung. We don't talk about grung. Grung are great. The grung. They're fun. Grung are like the only race that I accept that they can't speak other languages except for Grung. Because mm. if you can do if you can do um, tongues or um, zone of communication with them, mm-hmm. I feel like it just I feel I feel like you'd just be hearing Grung, Grung, Grung until the zone is popular. It's mm. like, excuse me, good sir, do you know where we can get the tea? We've been wanting the tea for a while, and that's what we've been sent out to get. <laughs> like the great toad demands tea, kind of deal. Oi, you got a license for that tea. <laughs> oh, you got a license for that tea. Got a license right here, stabs you with a poison dagger. Like, oh god, they got the shanking license. <laughs> like an evil campaign where the whole party is like a tribe of grung that are like, I don't know, doing grung things. Being British. Enslaving everyone around them. Pretty oh much my sure. god. They're the new, they're the new drow. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, so I definitely love turtles, and this is just... Keeping them up to speed with the uh, new book coming out. What would be great is if you could have you could have a monk turtle and just do fucking Kung Wait. Fu Panda, Kung Fu Panda, oh my God. or like a turtle paladin, and just do all like the eight sea buffs that you can get. Speaking of sea buffs, yeah. speaking of the ocean, <laughs> there's tritons here, and I. Um, I'm looking well, at humans this. of the ocean. Well, that's the thing is that I'm looking at this, and the difference between tritons and sea elves is very minimal. Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of like so like if, if fairies are the halflings of the elves, yeah, and are the fae folk, tritons are the humans of the sea. Yeah, it's it's strange because they have the only thing here that they have that's like very different to the sea elf is control air and water. So yep. they get fog cloud and later a gust of wind and water. Yeah, water. they're more they're more likely to be able to like wander up to the surface. Sea elves could do the same, but sea elves seem like they're more bound to the water. There's to the ocean. an interesting thing here where sea elves they have a thing. Hold on, let me scroll up here so I can read it exactly. They have a thing called Child of the Sea, where they can it, they can breathe air and water, and they have resistance to cold damage. But they break that into two for the Triton, almost to make it look like it has more than it does, because the Triton has amphibious. You can breathe air and water, and then another thing it has is um, Guardian of the Depths. You have resistance to cold damage. That those two this features Triton's are one feature. Tritons also sea. have emissary of the sea, which allows them to communicate simple ideas to any beast, elemental, or monstrosity. Where I think it's only aquatic. Be- aquatic it's only animals. swimming beasts for sea elves. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't so, know why you wouldn't. So play tri- Triton. So, so so tritons are like na- the simple native trancing. Tritons are the, na- so, tritons yeah, are the native people of the oceans. The sea elves just came in and were like, "Hey, we're here too." So the so the sea so. elves are the filthy transplants. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Elves are always filthy transplants in my lore. Yeah, so what you Fuck get, elves. Yeah, so what you get with um, sea elves is you are able to. I like the way the tritons look better too, but that oh, might yeah. just be the art that I'm looking at right now. No, the the five E art of tritons is just very good. There's a reason why they didn't draw a new one for them. They make they look they make a little bit less, like they make them less like they make them less like um. They look like that. They make them less universal monster and more like. Palatable. <laughs> they, they look like um yeah they're less creature of black lagoon they're more shape of water they're more Abe sapien anyways yeah. <laughs> we're moving on from fucking to the last Abe sapien race the yuan ti note they have uh, decided to ditch the unfortunate connotations of the term yuan ti pure blood oof yep 
So yeah, so Yuan T, uh, hmm, hi Yuan T, hi snake people. They're they're like soft snake people. people. They're not quite because they're because you say snake people in D and D and you think like a serpent person. I mean, so they're still they're still so they're still they're still Yuan T or Naga, yeah. So you still have Yuan T pure bloods as a monster. Yes. But now as a race, these are like the Sneeple. They they like have they have a humanoid figure and they have like a humanoidist face, but their eyes are serpents and they have like a serpent mouth. And they, they do have like some reptile DNA. No, them. absolutely. I'm not oh, saying yeah. they don't. I'm just saying when you say whereas like pure bloods are close. Say snake pure person. You think to... of like a snake with arms and legs. Yeah, you mm. think Naga, but these are water bipedal people. Because yeah. Wanti pure bloods are the closest to the Naga, and hybrids are more of the monstrous traits of the Naga. Yeah. Whereas these Wanti are like these, these are, are these are people with snake traits. Yes, yeah. that's kind of what and I mean. People that. with snake traits as opposed to just snake people. Mm. And oh boy, do we have some fun some fun stuff for you? Uh, first, you just you just get advantage on all saving throws against spells. Just, just, just which makes sense because of their wow. because of their uh, because of their origins yeah. and their like heritage. Wizard duels against a Yuan-Ti, you're going to lose. A Yuan-Ti mm-hmm. wizard would be fucking powerful at twentieth level. Yeah. Like, on top of anything else, with, like, shield as a reaction, rings of protection, and animated shield from physical harm. Um, they also get poison resilience. Vintage on save throws to make or avoid or end the poison condition on, on themselves and resist the poison damage. Serpentine spellcasting, they get poison was, spray cantrip. I they really like do this. animal friendship. But only on snakes. Friends. Only on snakes. That's cool, though. <laughs> I'm friends with every snake. Yeah. I love that. Cousin, yeah. do you know where the pure blood is? Oh, my God. Certain sp- Oh. Beeping parcel mouth. Fuck are you? <laughs> shush, 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 shush. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't need to speak turf around here. I'm just... <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. No. I guess we could say here, fuck J.K. Rowling. <laughs> oh. I did go there. So, though, though they are themselves entirely unchanged, aside from the fact that you can now pick what stat you spell cast with, because I can't... Yeah. A lot of these innate spellcasting uh, abilities just predetermined a uh, ability score that you had to use for your spellcasting. Anyways. They were assuming your class. <laughs> well, they give you the ability to make your race assume your class, <laughs> depending on your build. Yeah. But yeah, like, that's the that's final not... race in that list, and like... So, Nantia, cool. Yeah, I'd say that this is a pretty solid overall collection of, uh, monst- of races. They're mm-hmm. pretty fun, they're pretty flavorful, and they still have their very undefinitive niches, like, you know... You want T? You just want to put them as a spellcaster or a rogue. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely um, they lean towards certain classes. They don't prevent you from doing some weird race class combo, but they definitely reward you for um, for synergizing. For synergizing, yeah. Yanti Druid would be kind of interesting. That would be cool. That would be cool. Honestly, playing a Yanti in some a setting like Dark Sun would be really fucking cool, especially where there's a lot of snake cults. In mm. I've, got, I've got this video on YouTube about the Dark Sun setting. Meaning to listen to it. It's like two hours long. Only two hours. Only two yeah. hours. Warning, there's so, a lot of slavery in the dark sun. There is. There is. It's because of uh, defiling and preserving. Okay, with dark fantasy, it's fine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's also very more dark. Fantasy. It's also like very it. Conan the Barbarian. Cool. Um, I, like, I, like so, Conan. I like Elric a lot. Not the. Not your character. The you don't like the Elric fi- a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the, the fictional I love character. The, I love the guy who always goes. I first. like Elric. You're the only one who helps me with my chaotic shenanigans. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, I, you make you make my initiative rules terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you just go it's first like every time. Yeah. If it's not a cave of bleepus, <laughs> it needs to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so on the, 
this is gonna sound bad on the discussion of race. Oof. <laughs> um, in D and D, discussion of race in D and D. I was about to leave and take my yeah. microphone with me. We are all pretty much white people here, I think. I'm, Except CJ, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. mixed race. Um, but um, in regards to the new race designs for five point five, as I think we're this yes, generally from, speaking, yep. what this is it, what this is. Um, for the triple M, yes. For the triple. This is really good mm-hmm. work. I like I like the idea of the origin system, being able to choose your size category for some of these for some of these races, as well as bringing back some old lore to add more context to why these races are the way they <laughs> and are. And Pathfinder lore. Yeah, which is funny. It's Opal, Opal specifically. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's because they realize that like we have Dragonborn. They're like the elf slash human slash dwarf of yeah. the draconic race. Yeah, you keep saying and that, and that is interesting. Like, there is kind of like a human dwarf gnome thing happening with like each kind of subset. Yeah. <laughs> a human dwarf gnome elf thing. So like yep. you have like... <clears throat> like for the Underdark races, we have the Drow, the Dvergar, the, the Sverf Neblin. Yep. And then... Um, what would take the place of the humans? The Mind Flayers now. Myconids? Well, I oh. guess among the playable races. Gith? No, get they're more astral. Mm-hmm. They're more of the uh, they're more of the. I think there really is like a like human equivalent. Yeah, I guess the clo- I guess humans. the I guess the closest like, humans like, uh, do exist down there. They're just there's not like a faction of humans. You mean slaves? <laughs> yeah. Most of the time there's, in there's Old Lord, slaves, and then there are like the rogue humans that just go down there. Yeah, the the the, the either the foolish adventurer, the the stupid entrepreneur, or like the people that want revenge. Mm. The people that have the intention of going down there. And there's also the people who get lost. Yeah. Who get um, most likely turned into slaves. Or the people who, like, accidentally drop into a tunnel that, like, caves into the upper reaches of the Underdark. Hmm. Um, I I, really, I think that's the whole, sort of the whole point, because, like, it's giving a, cat, a size category and a race for every for every flavor of character you could build. Like, very, mm-hmm. very specifically, being able to do enlarge or reduce. Mm-hmm. So you could be the little fairy that sits on someone's hand or on someone's shoulder like a parrot... Or you grow to like the, the size, size of a human, human, and you just punch just, someone or kick the them thing. with your grasshopper. Usually, usually, not classical mythology, but a lot of modern pop culture. There yeah. are human sized. I mean, fairies. the insect leads for the fairy is very spiderwick. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, there's spiderwick, um, charmed head stuff like that. Yeah, and so uh, they also have you also have like more um, specifications for things like the Haragon. Mm-hmm. Um, all their fucking rabbit puns. A lot of beast races, which yeah. is cool. We like, pretty much hit all the okay. major ones. I think we, we got we got to make play. we got to make sure the pro the programming side of the internet has all their furry needs in D and D. Because if because if, if a if a plane with a bunch of people going to a furry furry convention crashed, the entire uh, the entire tech industry would collapse. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's too many programmers. A lot of money. You'd be surprised. They're just I missing actually, like a monkey race. I think that would be cool. I mean, Honestly, like, you, the, you know what? That, you're right. We, we yeah. need no. Sun Wukong. Yeah, I would love to so have like a monkey character. people. Monkey people. Okay. Okay. Actually, think about that. <laughs> monkey people. Yeah. Well, maybe we don't. <laughs> Fine. Monkey humans. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> Arguably. Um, Humanoid simian, capuchin monkeys. Si, 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 simian, uh, simian race. Simian folk. Simian sim folk. Yeah. That exists. Like, or, in or AD&D. Like chimp folk or something. Are you serious? Yeah. Or just, yeah. making, or just okay. making intelligent apes that you can play, like your Caesar or someone. Yeah, something like that. You know what I mean, though? Yeah. It's like a fantasy thing that, that, yeah. that, that, that it hasn't been hit yet. I would like to see that. Yeah, that could, uh, could Might be fun to see some thing. dog people. Sure, yeah. that's sort of the shifter. Yeah. They have they well, have no, werewolf like, dogs. Well, I'm saying yeah, like but well, the, those I know what can be means. any animal, any mammalian animal. I'm thinking more like just like, well, I guess you know, Pathfinder Two E has like the, the, the their, has dog. their fetchlings, the, the, which are a pug people. 
Yeah. It's something like that. Or sorry, shoomies. Shoomies? Yes. Do they get the zoomies? <laughs> <laughs> if they're a rogue. <laughs> um, no, weirdly enough, their best builds are paladin or fighter. I can see that. They get strength and charisma, but they lose so, uh, constitution. Um, because there's t- tiny, adorable, strong, but you know, frail. Yeah. I guess. So I have one more thing. Hmm. Yes. All right, Columbo. Oh, this is the bonus thing? This is the bonus thing. Okay. Because <gasps> we're talking about design, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the whole point of this episode. Race design is changing. It's leading us into a half edition, mm-hmm. a, a jump in update and rules, yeah. as well as making the game more accessible and more customizable for your world. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, like, it's a lot less based on the firm lore of other worlds and trying to match it up. It's more of you get to work out what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a good thing, and generally speaking. Yeah. They recently really, like, released something. I like, what, I like the new stuff. They recently released something because uh, they started since Wizards has taken over Beyond. They've been doing monthly releases of free content. They did uh, Monsters Companion Volume One for Spelljammer, cool. featuring yeah. some new monsters that they're going to be including in the setting book, um, alongside some of the unique monsters that could be tied to the adventures within the book. Cool. They also released a new one this month. Oh, what was it? I'm only going to give you a quote. And I want you guys to try and guess. Is it Lokatha Rising? Hold on. So, quote, On countless words, his name evokes tales of terror and cruelty. Dracula? Dracula? Did you just say both at the same time? They both Dracula? Dracula at the same time. <laughs> no, it's not Strahd von Zarevich. <laughs> uh, can you say the quote again? Countless words. On countless words, his name evokes tales of terror and cruelty. Definitely. Oh You're my right. god, wow. <laughs> Stranger Things? No. Oh no. So, this month, because of Stranger Things Season 4, but not statting the character that is like Vecna in Season 4 of Stranger Things in Volume 1. Which, have you guys seen Season 4 no, I haven't. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen Season 2. I haven't finished Season 3. Oh, God. So, they've brought, they've brought back, redesigned, and statted Vecna. That's cool. Wow. So... Vecna. Let me it's called the Vecna dossier. On your D and D Beyond account, so you can get it for free. So one they second, go into the lore of Vecna. Uh, quote Vecna, the Undying King. Vecna, the Whispered One. Vecna, the Lord of the Rotted Tower. Over more than a thousand, uh, more than a hundred thousand years, incandescent hatred carried him from the humblest of origins to a conqueror's throne, then to the realms that lie beyond life and death, and finally to Godhood. <coughs> Many have suffered his terrible wrath, but few can recount how a lowly scribe left an aeon-deep scar on the multiverse before ascending beyond the material altogether. Only a few fragments of Vecna's stories have ever been unearthed. It is said that Vecna was born into a lowly cast in the world of Oerth, son of a hedge witch and a father he never knew. An order of wizards exiled, exiled Vecna's mother into the wastes of the pra- of, for practicing the forbidden art of necromancy. The order bound her orphan son into servitude and employed him as... For, uh, as, uh, as at first a bootlack, then a scribe, Vecta spent the better part of his childhood secretly educating himself in his master's art, stealing into their library of magical treatises each night after midnight. It was during these intense su- study sessions that he first heard a soothing voice in his head, a whisper from another world that promised him revenge if he would only yield to the hatred that was festering in his heart. Once Vecta learned all that he could from his masters and their books, he massacred them. On that very night, he, the voice urged him to record his every foul thought and dream, and he started to pen his book of vile darkness. Which he keeps in his fucking ribcage. Yes, he does. So the coolest thing is that... 
Like, he is... They literally have made this man... This, this, How do you find this? It's what, on... So what, on what, Google I just searched Vecna dossier. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. And then go to the uh, first result, which should be for the D&D Beyond website. Then you claim it, and then you just look at it. Yeah. He, like, his, the lore that they give him, they talk about the important notes, how he came to power, him likely being the first ever lich in the multiverse. Which is cool. And then his confrontation with his... With the With, the, with his fallen paladin ally, Koss the Bloody Handed. Mm. And how Koss severed his left arm and removed his left eye. That's freaking cool. <laughs> uh, thus creating the two artifacts of Vecna. Yep. The eye and the hand of Vecna. Man, I have a funny... That just remind me, I have a funny story with the hand of Vecna. So Really? Yes. And the important part is that they give him the title Archlich. Yep. yep. He is the only one. That's mm. really cool. That is cool. He is... He is... Ooh, a rival! This man has done so much that you can't really destroy him. And here's why. He's so, spread himself out across the multiverse. Like It's not even just because of phylactery. It's which, even worse than which that. Which campaign in Critical Role was he the villain of? Campaign 1. He was the whispered one. And he ascended to godhood because on Oerth, he ascended to demigodhood. Mm-hmm. But he wanted true godhood. But the gods kicked him out of Oerth. Get out of here. Didn't he originally <coughs> appear in uh, Greyhawk? Yeah, yeah Oerth. Yeah, okay, that was, in yeah, the world that we're playing with the Temple of Elemental Evil. So who knows? You might fight him. <laughs> yeah, all right. We do have the stats for him now. Um, <laughs> there's also a lot of adventures <laughs> with him. Abraham would sooner kneel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we can find his hand and come up your hand That's okay. But, it can be Archlich Jr. <laughs> I can just be the regular intro to Emily Don't mind being a <laughs> <laughs> The DM is trying to force so, you to fight him. And the cool thing Mega is that they dropped, they, they re- also redesigned the look of the Book of Vile Darkness and who wrote it. Yeah, I noticed the, yeah. the look was completely different. It looks a lot less... looks a lot less like a 3.5 book. It looks a lot less sword. Necronomicon yes. from Evil Dead and more like... Oh, well, this is his journal? <laughs> like, oh, this is his diary. Yeah. Um, but did the Book of Wild Darkness exist before it was a yes. supplement? Yes, and, and they yeah. like Vecna mm-hmm. wrote it, it's but Vecna's, it's also it was it's, a thing in the lore. It's it's also it's also been, it's been it's been since Vecna was created, but like people have always interpreted that the Book of Wild Darkness has like several authors. Okay, because it's the Book of True Evil, but the first person who codified its contents was Vecna. Okay, fair enough. Um, and man, does it have some stuff going for it? So, here's the fun part about this fucking. Okay, I'm just gonna go through it. Vecna, the Archlich, medium undead, wizard, lawful evil, 18 AC, can average at 272 hit points, speed of 30 feet, for 32 D8 hit points plus 128, (laughs) 14 strength, 16 dex, 18 con, 22 intelligence, 24 wisdom, and 16 charisma, he has, it gets worse, uh, he has a plus two, a plus twenty two in Arcana, plus fourteen to History, plus fifteen to Insight, plus fifteen to Perception. His Con is plus twelve. His Int is plus fourteen. His Wisdom is plus fifteen for his saving throws. He is resistant to cold, lightning, and necrotic. He is immune to poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing attacks from non-magical Jeez. weapons. He condition immunities. He's immune to charm, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, poison, and stunned. He has true sight. Wow. Uh, Snow going visible. For 120 feet, passive perception of 25. 
The language he speaks, funnily enough, common draconic elvish and infernal, but probably knows all of them yeah. across the multiverse. Guess what his challenge rating is, Alec? Uh, I, I, I need something more relative. Ten? <laughs> <laughs> Much higher. Higher. What? 30. He has Less. 26. Wow. He's a challenge rating at 26. He can go toe-to-toe with Tiamat. Not, the, not the aspect, the goddess. So he's a literal... He's pretty much a deity with his level of power. 90,000 XP split amongst the party if you defeat him. If. He has, he has a proficiency bonus of plus 8. He has 5 legendary resistances per day. And he has wow. special equipment. He carries a magic dagger named Afterthought. And in, in, in the hands of anyone else other than Vecta, Afterthought is a plus 2 dagger. So you have another... You technically have another artifact of Vecta out there. Uh, so there's four artifacts of Vecta, and then if you have the hand of Vecta and you wield the hand of Vecta, you're not Vecta. Okay, so you're you, can't, not Vecna. you can't put the dagger in it and then have it be after that. Here's the cool part about Vecta, the Archlich, undying. If Vecna is slain, his soul refuses to accept its fate and lives on as a disembodied spirit that fashions a new body for itself after one d hundred years. Vecna's a soul can fashion in the new body even oh, if his no. old body was burned to ash or otherwise obliterated. When the new body is complete, Vecna regains all his hit points and becomes active again. Vecna's oh. new body appears anywhere within 100 miles of where Vecna was slain. Imagine if you rolled a 1 on that D100. Yeah. The one, so I watched the video t- today like, about the dossier. Really? Like, so the funny thing about that 1D100, it's the DM's guy to go however long you want him to be gone. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. In, like, unusual nature, Vecna doesn't require air, food, drink, or sleep. This dude can... F- this dude can fucking Omni-Man through space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's... Imagine an epic awesome. space battle with Vecna That'd on a spell really jammer. Cool. <laughs> That'd be actually kind of funny. I would, this, like, be, this massive shit fucking just one It would be guy. very cool to take spell jammer and just, like, yeah. go to different campaign books. And if you were worried, he can... Ca- about him being able to go against the spell jammer, he can just cast Fly at will. Yeah. So he has multi-attack, he uses Flight of the Damned, if available, Rotten Fate or Spellcasting, he then often makes uh, two attacks with Afterthought. The cool thing about this dagger is it's it's literally an afterthought for him. So, Afterthought. Melee attack plus 13 to hit, reach of 5 feet, one target hit on, average on 7, uh, 1d4 plus 5, piercing damage plus 9, 2d8 necrotic damage. Um, what's that? Sit tight. Oh god, why? Um, if the tar- if the target is a creature, it is afflicted by entropic magic, taking 2d8 uh, necrotic damage at the start of each of his turns. That's a lot of dice. Yep. <coughs> Two large dice. <coughs> what the fuck? Uh, for a dagger. Um, immediately after taking this damage on its turn, the target can make a DC 20 constitution saving throw and any effect on itself on a success. Until it succeeds on the save, the afflicted target can't regain hit points. Jesus. So, so uh, yeah, you want the real the paladin of D&D? gets hit. <laughs> you can't use your lay on hands. The cleric can't heal you until you succeed. Thankfully, it's a DC only a DC twenty on a paladin. But there's more. <laughs> I know. There's more. Flight of the Dam. There's more. Recharge on a five every five to six rounds. Vecna conjures a torrent of flying spectral entities that fill a hundred twenty foot cone and oh pass God, through all creatures. In the area before dissipating. Each creature in that area must make a DC 22 con save. <sighs> On a failed save, the creature takes 8d8 necrotic damage and is frightened <laughs> of Vecna for one minute. There's no ads from this. 
<laughs> On a successful save, the creature takes half as much damage and isn't frightened. A frightened creature can repeat the saving throughout the end of each of its turns, ending the ending the effect on itself. That's so uh, yeah. insane. This guy's all about tamping down your your his victims. Is he ready for the next one? Rotten fate. Vecna causes necrotic da- necro- causes necrotic magic to engulf one creature he can see within 120 feet of himself. The the target must succe- uh, succeed on a DC 22 con save, taking. 8d8 plus 60 necrotic damage <laughs> on a failed what? save. You're or right. half as much on a successful one. It gets better. What? A humanoid killed by this win? magic rises as a zombie at the start of Vecna's next turn that acts and acts immediately after Vecna in the initiative order. The zombie is under Vecna's control. You have That's to, what you said. You, to beat this guy, you have to bring out your 3.5 character. <laughs> no, no. You just have to... You literally have to be level 20. That's yeah, this, is, this guy is literally like... You have to have the this perfect, is an, most well out. <laughs> this is a level. This is an epic level campaign. It's the big Maxer's like, dream. It's like fine. It's the it's the fight with the opponent. Our battle shall be legendary. So, so Holy even crap. further, uh, spellcasting Vector casts one of the following spells requiring no material components and using intelligence as a spellcasting ability. Spell save DC twenty two. You ready? Uh, at will. Animate dead as an action. Oh, magic, dispel magic, fly, lightning bolt, mage hand, prestigitation. But granted, because he is an archlich, you can give him as many spells as you want. Yep. Next. From any setting. Uh, two each day, dimension door, invisibility, and scrying as an action. But once a day, dominate monster, globe of invulnerability, and plane shift, self only. And remember, he can cast <laughs> each one of those spells. So it's not like one per day, you no. pick the spells. One per day, each of those spells. Now, plane shift, does that take him to a new plane or just change the plane around No, it, it's, his, it's his get out of jail free card. It's okay. his teleportation so, to get the fuck away spell. So, and then you don't win. Because if you plane shift, you have to ca- find counter, him. Or you can there are spell. spells that okay, can then. stop that from happening. Yeah. Counter spell. Or, counter um, spells, isn't there or like a, one that locks you into Yeah, pl- it's like a planar anchoring spell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... Bonus actions. Vile teleport. Vector teleports along with any equipment he is wearing or carrying up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space he can see. He can cause each creature of, it, of his choice within 15 feet of his destination space to take 3d6 psychic damage. If at least one creature takes this damage, Vector regains 80 hit points. <laughs> and wild. And now, we got three more. Now, here's the best part. Or two, I, two with more. a little bit of context for this next one. Oh. During Critical Role Campaign 1, during the fight with Vecna, oh. the episode was called Vecna the Ascended. There was one character at the table, unexpectedly doing the most fucking doing the most fucking hurt to Vecna, and it wasn't even damage. What was it? Who was it? Scanlan Shorthalt, the bard. Level I, I 20 just, I bard. I was thinking that, too. I was like, was it, was it the he bard? He counterspelled the fuck out of Vecna, <laughs> who had become a god at that point. <laughs> he used... He, he so when he was trying to plane shift to get away from the party, uh, he used his last <coughs> ninth level spell slot to cast counterspell. The one level level nine spell slot he was saving for um, Vaxil Dawn for a wish spell to prevent him from dying and be, having to be one with the Raven Queen. Wow! He sacrificed his one one chance to save his friend in order to counterspell Vecna. So wow. with that context. Vecna can take up to three reactions per round, but only but only one per turn. Dread Counterspell. Vecna utters a dread word to interrupt a creature he can see that is casting a spell. If the spell is fourth level or lower, it fails and has no effect. <laughs> if the spell is fifth level or higher, Vecna makes an intelligence check, DC 10 plus the spell's level, on a success. 
The spell fails and has no effect. Whatever the spell's level, the caster takes 3d6 psychic damage if the spell fails. So is that meant to be like, screw you, Scanlon? <laughs> I'm taking that in my in my head can yeah. as like, that little fucking gnome. <laughs> wait, wait, Becca, don't get mad. <laughs> Take a lesson from this and make your own counter spell. What's the dread word I can say? Squitter. Scanlon. <laughs> wait, no, wait, I've got it. No music zone. <laughs> no, it's, um... He, what's the name of the dragonborn? That's what he says. He says, remember Tiberius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And everybody in Kodoka Rolls no, is just, just playing for Not just remember Tiberius, it's just Tiberius. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's like, oh, no! No, oh, no, problematic up to <laughs> th- episode 27. <laughs> Somebody get the copyright, Lazo! And if uh, you're ready for the last fuck you to, to the players... Fell Rebuke. In response to being hit by an attack, Vegna utters a fell word, de- fell word dealing... 3d6 to crack damage to the attacker, and Vecna teleports along with any equipment he is wearing or carrying up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space he can see. So yeah, so Vecna is definitely setting out to be a very, is designed to be a very difficult opponent, mostly to just get to, and then once you get to him, good luck. And the coolest part about, I think, the greatest part about this redesign, they definitely got inspired by the Infinity Gauntlet for his hand. There's a lot of other art in the article about him that they published in about the dossier where it shows a king with his eye and his hand but it looks like he's slowly becoming possessed because there's like gold lines going through his veins yeah as if Vecna's literally just taking over this guy's body that's interesting and like as uh, the the guy who helped design Vecna he is like this guy has so much hatred you can't kill him he will just reappear so like he's literally made the multiverse his phylactery that's awesome. You don't know where his original phylactery is. It's not under his bed. <laughs> but like, would that be funny? The last place to look. This guy, this guy, went started from the bottom on Oerth as a necromancer, became the first lich in the multiverse, and has left a scar upon all realms by being the only archlich. That's that's metal. This is Terrifying. so cool, though, because what this means is that. I'm 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 kind of throwing this out there, so we're definitely getting Planescape, I think. But I think the final setting they could op- open back up before uh, addition refresh, Greyhawk. Yep. Yeah. Bring back Greyhawk. Mm. Well, you bring they, back Vecna as the cla- as the classic villain. I don't see why you wouldn't just bring back all the classic. Um, it, it's 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 settings. it's a matter of time and also a matter of popularity. It's sort of like. Um, when we talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy in our first episode, they only had 5% of the readership in Marvel Comics before the movies, and after that, it was yeah. like 35%. Yeah. No, 33% after the first movie. Went, like bumped up to 40 because they did all the character design changes yeah. between the two movies. So, like, because people are getting more and more into D&D, and they're getting the older books, they're getting into older lore, mm-hmm. like, we discovered because of Elijah's campaign, there's a whole online community that love the shit out of the Greyhawk setting, and they keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, if they got some of those people to work on an Oerth setting for uh, fi- for 5th edition, or for 5.5, as it's kind of seeming like this is, bringing it back to Greyhawk, okay. the original setting that codified all these themes Where and all, all these, these characters... classic modules are... Like the yeah. classic pantheon of gods, yeah. to bring it back to there would be like the ultimate point. Kind of end it where it began. Sort of yeah. Thing. End it where it began, but also a really big middle finger to Gary Gary Gygax's legacy. Yeah. 
Because they already did the Tomb of Horrors better with Annihilation. Yep. Well, Vecna's, it's not too hard to do Vecna's Tomb of literally better. a god without saying he's a god. He's yeah. above that shit. Mm-hmm. And it's very Doctor Doom. Yeah, being a god beneath me. Yeah, and like everything, everything about the game right now is so anti-Gaxian. Well, mm-hmm. also like bring like Luke Gygax actually worked on the dossier. Really? Yeah. That's cool. So like they have the Gygax blood, but like it's not. That's not based on greed. It's not based on genetic determinism. It's not based on any of these negative things. It's for the love of the things. game. It's for the love of the game. It's for the love of the hobby. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. Plus, they also announced a statue of Vecna, and it's pretty. That's cool. And you can just use that as a mini, because if you make him a god, it's about the size of a god. Why not? Yeah. It's, it's like a brain, an, aspect, an yeah. MMO or something, where yeah. they're always way bigger than they are in the actual like, world. Whoa! <laughs> like their hands and then their heads. Yeah, exactly. It's like right. master hand. Like no, no, it's just like Final Fantasy VI. It's just like you start by fighting some statues, then you face his hands, then you you're fighting his face. Yeah, <laughs> you beat him. Yeah, like, like, you beat Venom, you guys. It's like no, that was that was just the statue. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like in, it's like in um, it's like in uh, Soulsborne games. It's the the enemies that are your size are always the most terrifying and the most powerful. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, like that. That came out this week, and I read it, and like, oh my god, that's, I gotta talk about that's this. wild. That's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie though, I'd, I'd sooner see a Planescape than um, a Greyhawk book. I definitely think I that's coming like up though. They need more scapes to do Planescape. <laughs> you might be right. Well, no, they well they, they talk about Planescape. They talk about Sigil in the DMG. They talk about other planes and other realms, but I think what they're building up I to mean, is they have Dragonlance that could they could that could bring back Dark Sun. Just back Dragonlance. We got Eberron and we got. Uh, Realms. Maybe yeah. you're right. Maybe do Greyhawk first, and then when you then you and can then do that's four. Game. That's enough yeah. to do planes. Here, yeah, just bring back Mistara instead. <laughs> I mean, that, that, they, I mean, oh, they wait, talk they talk about the first world. Yeah. In Fizzbands, so like you just bring all the all the realms that sort of came from that ripple. Yeah. Um. So. With that, I guess just to sort of cap this off, our next episode predictions, things we'd like to see, a little bit of a wish list in general about what we'd like to see out of 5.5. Yeah, right. If it does happen. Sounds good to me. Based on all the findings that we have so far, we have pretty much a a good good amount of information to where we can just extrapolate what could happen. Plus, we've already talked about it, so we can just, you know, more more diligent notes. So, until next time, everyone, uh, have a great day and uh, keep it nerdy. Yeah, this has been A Distracted Podcast.